because I'm sure Joe Biden has already gone on about this for like a week. Does he still have a podcast? He does, I think. But the funny part is, at least in the in the beginning, I'm not sure how. So he had a falling out with some of his old hosts, but then the old host or co-hosts have a podcast that's bigger than his podcast now. So jokes on him. I, I, apparently, like, you know, people sided with those guys like, over Joe Budden, or some people did. I don't know. Some podcast drama. Exposure I've got. I've heard out of Joe. Bu- um, Joe Budden was the thing about his dog and his uh, the balls, <laughs> uh, which I actually think came up on on the show. It um, did. It did. Um, so yeah. Um, Have you guys seen the video of Joe Budden and the and the clown and the dunk tank? I mean, there's an obvious joke there about Joe Budden and the clown and not being able to tell which is which. But um, no, I have not. Um, they, they put, hit it up in the chat. No, he literally is getting roasted by a dunk tank clown. And damn. it's one of the fucking funniest videos I've ever seen in my life. So good. It's a masterpiece. I don't even know. It's just, it's, uh, you get, it, so it, 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 it gets it, taken down periodically because it's so embarrassing. Joe Budden tries to DMCA it every couple of months. <laughs> yeah. He's doing the he's doing the mock homie, but for, for <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's our intro. <laughs> which one's the clown? <laughs> it's, the, it's the fucking Pablo cover up, but it's which one? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe Budden explored mental illness on his classic album, <laughs> Mood Music. Mood Music, Mood Music 2, Two. Mood Music 3. And I think history will be at least just as common to Kendrick Lamar. We got we got to get a little B on here and talk about Joe Budden. I mean, we just need to have Wyatt drop in. Yeah, yo, Joe Budden, you a motherfucking joke. joke. I am hip-hop Ross, Ross in my book. Ross up for life. Oh, man. I, I think there really is no better way to talk about the Kendrick album than just clown on Joe Budden for 10 minutes. There's not a lot of laughs in the Kendrick album. You gotta get your levity out before talking. That's unless you find We Cry Together Funny, which sometimes I do. Sometimes, I, I, sometimes I, I, because, I, yeah, The first thing I thought of when I heard it was uh, Riz's Domestic Violence, which is actually... <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking about this, like how I was going to phrase this in the car, thinking about the show, and I was like, I can't be on air saying, you know, I really find domestic violence funny. <laughs> out of context, really easy. Just that sentence. So, uh, 
Yeah. Oh, and we get to dunk on Eminem in this in this because we're gonna bring up Kim because it's impossible to not bring up Kim sure. in relationship to We Cry Together. And Kim is a terrible fucking song. I don't care what anybody says. Well, it seems like most people are bring up "Love the Way You Lie," which it's like. Uh, I, I mean, even I guess, worse. I, that's painful. Which, of course, you know, I guess that's why they call it window pane. So <laughs> uh, there, there it is. I mean, this is point if you didn't say it. <laughs> Has Logic done any domestic violence songs? Can we bring? Him Who up? can relate? <laughs> no, Logic can't believe he didn't make that song. He listened to that shit mad as fuck. There's no way. No, no, someone brought him up. No, someone brought up the suicide song in the comment box and then said that 1-800-SUICIDE or the fuck it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great digger. They're like, oh, this is way more moving than Auntie Diaries. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's it's a great box. It's a great box. Wait, who who said that? (laughs) One of the the cis people complaining about (laughs) about Auntie Diaries. (laughs) One of the blue check marks complaining about. <laughs> oh. oh my god! If you're getting their message songs mixed up. You're supposed to complain about same love, not uh. <laughs> I know. Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking machine gun fire. How how have we not called it one eight hundred suicide on the show yet? That's fucking amazing. Now I'm just picturing the grave diggers covering like the song. Oh my god! I would rather hit my hand with a fucking hammer than talk about the discourse around anti uh, suicide, anti diaries. Because <laughs> if I hit my hand with a hammer, it's just once. But if I say the wrong thing about that fucking song, I'm hearing about it for days. <laughs> I love that song. I fucking adore it. But I don't want to fucking talk about it. In terms oh. of in terms of legitimate <laughs> jokes on the Kendrick album, there's like maybe two, and one of them is legit very funny, which is the when Kanye and Drake per- got back together or whatever, I was very confused. That was, that's actually super funny. You know, his <laughs> delivery on that reminds me of like Mitch Hedberg. It just had this really weird, like I was, I was slightly confused. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, it, it, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like he's doing um, fucking like <laughs> Tim Heidecker or something. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, why did you put this on the album? <laughs> that's very funny. Well, it's so fucking it's funny. It's more of a J. Cole moment, actually. <laughs> J. Cole would have written a whole song about it. How he was disappointed. Kanye let me down. Well, I'm trying to think of the next... Because, you know, yesterday, uh, Babytron dropped a, a song that had 25 iconic beats on it uh, that he rapped over for, like, 15 seconds each. So now I'm trying to think of which beat is Babytron going to... Or which Kendrick line is he going to, you know, have on the... Uh, on the album, but he's you know there's gonna be a line about like uh, I'm trying to think like some comedic line about like we cry together or something like you know your your girl hit you like she's Taylor Page or something I don't know like I'm I'm, try- <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of, right, of the right. ridiculous before, before this gets too off should have found a bigger dick <laughs> <laughs> I say before this gets too off the rails and then. Out, out of nowhere, should have found a bigger dick. That's the title of the episode. I'm, I'm just letting you know. You gotta put the clap, the clap emojis in between each line. Quiet, so many options for the intro right now. We are on a run. Bigger dick, just absolutely. That, that, nothing else around it. But this, no, Bob, this whole album is about black trauma and, and transitioning, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, Kendrick's like, please don't put me on a pedestal. We should have found a bigger dick. 
Well, this dick ain't free. So he, he told us before. <laughs> he told us it was oh. nine inches. I guess not. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Needs interest. But as as you can probably figure out, depending on why it cuts in on this, Living Off Bar Time podcast, uh, Patrick, Caleb, as usual, joined by the practically the third, me- fourth member of the podcast at this point, uh, Travis, Traviad. Uh, one of our emergency response episodes, um, this time, we've done them for most of the Arm & Hammer records. We did it recently this year for uh, Earl Sick. Uh, I believe you uh, did it for the Yeet album uh, recently. Correct. And so this is our newest one, which might not be as uniformly positive as most of those. Um, but uh, we had to add to the discourse. The discourse around has been so great so far. We just had to throw ours. You know, we've been discussing the discourse, especially around Auntie Diaries. Really, just some of the most shimmering oh, I'm, discourse. I'm, well, I'm wait, I, I'm so excited to let you guys know what my 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 cishead opinions are. <laughs> exactly. I I feel like there's no way we can go wrong. Like we definitely can't like misstep talking about that. You're salivating. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have one joke that I think can't possibly go wrong actually in discussing it. So oh, I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> I know the fact that I actually have a joke pre-prepared about it that I feel like it actually can't get me in trouble is we'll see. We'll see how I botch. You're gonna it. you're gonna cr- uncrumple the paper, you know, and take it out. We'll know when it's coming. I actually have it as a notes document, <laughs> <laughs> like any good Drake apology. <laughs> well, be like, I, I like to think. On the topic of discourse, I like to think that we added positive things to the discourse with our, you know, Donda discussion. So hopefully, oh sure, and that was a that, that was a less so with the uh, crazy uh, certified. Let's call him crazy, crazy ass lover boy, crazy lover boy, <laughs> creepy little bastard certified lover boy. I think we added less to uh, much less positive to that one. I mean, we added to the discourse, you know, positively or negatively. However, you know, people want to take that some toxic waste into it. Yeah. I mean, I believe most of our discourse around it was clowning on the album cover. For some reason, going back and just shitting on Scorpion for large periods of time. <laughs> Talking about why he can't make it, why isn't he making interesting music anymore? <laughs> it's pretty really funny. just dumb toxic waste on toxic waste if we're talking about yeah. Certified Lover Boy. Right. Yeah, uh, however, at some points throughout this album, I was kind of worried that, you know, Kendrick might, might have... Uh, not trending in that direction per se, but just compared to his previous work, I was a little, a little concerned uh, at, at points throughout the record. But I think I've, I've warmed to it a little more in, in recent listens. You know, my my overall stance to start us off is that I think it's a pretty good record, but I still think it's his weakest like studio album. I mean, when you look at the albums that came before it from 2011 onward, and I'm including Untitled in there, I think this is probably his weakest and i think it's also probably the one where some of his messaging gets flubbed at certain points which i know we'll talk about but musically there's still some some great songs but and and threatened you know great bars and etc etc and like i said it has grown on me so i I do like the album but i kind of think that i'm in between patrick and and travis here overall my opinion of it yeah I say one thing that it has in common with the with most Drake projects, very long. That's my big complaint, is that it's too fucking long. I listened to it three times in full. I listened to it the uh, day it came out. If you were in the Discord, you could see that I was not particularly impressed with it. Listened to it again a few days later. I it I think we can all agree that it improves on repeat listens. Like I think that <laughs> first impression and that's one of the things about it that I'm sure the discourse or whatever the is like missing about it. That's the problem with the discourse in general is that this is not something that lends itself very well to like a hot take 
Although I think that Kendrick doesn't like Kendrick plays into that. He leans into that with some of the shit he does and says on this album. Is I think he's kind of trying to provoke hot take economy, fucking first take discourse on it with like Auntie Diaries for better or worse. Some of the shit he says on like N95. Like I think he's trying to just sometimes maybe not so much in a Kanye way or like I got hints of like a lot of other rappers on this. This is one another problem I had with it. I guess is that it felt like a lot of times Kendrick was reminding me of other people. Maybe not so in like the way he frames things, the way he's rapping sometimes, he's flow sometimes. And I feel like this is maybe his first project where, I don't know if biting is the right word, but he seemed more evocative of other artists and not necessarily in a positive way on the weaker songs. And I don't know if I would include Drake in that or not, but some of the weaker stuff on here, I think you could compare to some of the weaker material on recent Drake stuff where, like, you could say it's stream trolling. I think, Trav, you referred to the weaker stuff as, like, rap caviar material. And, like, mm-hmm. there's certain stuff on here I think is just smooth and dull and not unpleasant to listen to, but it recedes so far into the background, it doesn't really have an identity. And those songs, I think, and a lot of them are on the second disc, are, I guess, if you think of it as a two-disc, because, like, I mean, there are there's physical... A gap. Are there physicals of this? Like Now, like, today, they, they announced the CD today. Because he definitely had that IG pick of him like holding two, like holding a physical of it. It's laid out for sure like a physical, which we'll get to another problem I have with it, which is the way he, what he chose to break it up with, the way the songs he chose to break it up with. All my fucking complaining aside, there are some great songs on here. I think there is <laughs> an album's worth of really good songs on here that would still probably be on the lowest end of his discography. That's where I stand on it. So, I think um, it was. Yeah. I think if it was a hair. Uh, sorry, Josh, one second. I think if it was um like a hair shorter, you know, a couple songs trimmed off, I'd probably say it's as good as Damn, um, or or in that you know vicinity rather. Uh, I listened to all of Kendrick's records except for Sex and Eighty. Um, on my uh, in the last couple of days, as just a refresher. Um, I mean, knew all those albums frontwards and backwards. Just from years of you know listening back when I was in high school. In the case of seven. damn, actually backwards. <laughs> right, I, I played Duckworth first, is what I did. Of course, yes. Um, yeah, Collector's yeah, edition too. The special edition. The rare art edition. <laughs> yeah. But what I, I, I when I listened to Damn last night, I thought to myself, you know, for all the shit that Damn gets and doesn't get, I mean, album on a goddamn Pulitzer. Um, damn is still a, a tough one here. A damn good record. Um, and, and I feel like I, this album was like almost there for me in terms of, you know, damn, or even, even section 80, cause section 80 does have a couple of, you know, valleys in there, but just the, the top of the top songs on like a section 80 or on a damn, I think are higher than like the top quality here, but you know, Trav, I'll let you, you know, have a floor. Sorry. Um, okay. So I pretty much just lived and slept and ate this album for the last five days, five, six days. Uh, I haven't really listened to much else. Um, so I think totally I've listened to it all the way through like five or six times, but of course, you know, I pick stuff up and drop it, pick this song up, particularly the songs I didn't like on first pass. I got to say first listen to this, very disappointing. Um, I was not far off from anyone else's opinion. I was like between a three and a three and a half on this one, which for me is crushingly low. Um, I would put Kendrick in my top five all time. And that was my initial take. Um, After, I think it was Listen 3, I started to get it. And initially, my my first pass was, what is the structure of this album? Like, what what is the goal? 
and I felt very lost. And uh, the momentum of the first, uh, I would say, three, four songs, five songs, very impressive. Um, pretty much up through Father Time. This is a pretty fucking engaging album. I mean, there's no breaks. And then that middle happens. You hit like Rich Spirit. And it's like what you guys are talking about. There's a sequencing issue where that's where the flab kind of starts to pile up somewhere in the middle. And then that's where I really got lost. Now, I've been waiting for five years for this album, like as we all have. Um, I wanted some fucking raps, man. It's like, really? I wanted to hear what Kendrick had to say about this fucking planet, right? Society, am I right? And like, I, that's what I was waiting for. And as the fucking singing songs kept piling up in the middle of the album, song the Crown, which is a great song. I love Crown. But sequencing-wise, I'm getting fucking tired. And so that first listen was really a lot of frustration. Those expectations hitting up against what I received. Not actually what the songs were, but what they weren't. So over the course of, you know, however long, I've been kind of digging into what people are saying about the album and what the themes of the album are. And then I started to take it apart. And I really liked it a lot. I love this album now. Um, there are major issues with the sequencing. I think I could probably cut three or four songs, not because I dislike them, but because I think it would help other songs stand out better um, that are more thematically important that would make the themes come through stronger. Um, but overall, I find it incredibly listenable. There's nothing I dislike, but there are songs, as Pat alluded to, that feel more like, let's just do this because it's going to be a hit. I wanted to make it. It's an album for me. This album is about me. This album is about my therapy, my trauma, my experiences through this time. I want to make this song with this rapper. I think people might like it. And so I'm going to put it on my album. Does that mean it makes it a better album? Not necessarily. Um, but as far as my experience with the album goes, it's incredibly positive, And I have a lot of good things to say about, you know, positive things to say. There are things that I would definitely remove. Uh, right now, I'm kind of settling on around an 8 out of 10 type of release. Um, it is battling with Section 80 is my least favorite. And hot take, there are some fucking terrible songs on Section 80 that haven't aged well. And... Good. I got to say, you know, if I'm going to pick out one as the one I would put uh, below it, it's Section 80. Um, but they're both great records, in my opinion. I think the highs are high on, high on both, but the lows are also quite low. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then there's everything else. Um, but this album's growing like a weed on me, so we'll see. Uh, this is hot take. <laughs> this is hot take time, really. It's only been a week. So... Um, we'll see how this, how this pod goes, but, uh, I definitely would say I'm the most positive of, of you guys. I do love the album, but, um, also I'm willing to accept a number of flaws that I think I can add to. That's where I'm at. I mean, what, what is a lower, what is the lower low, the parts on this that he completely gives up to say like, uh, really bland hook singers or baby Keem or no makeup, uh, Tammy song on section 80 and uh, like this. Probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Blandness or don't offensive? <laughs> no makeup's really. It's no makeup's probably the worst Kendrick song. Post, you know, overly dedicated. I mean, I think most, a lot of people would would would, would think that. But um, I just scanned the Section Eighty track list, and I still think that there there are some pretty fucking ridiculous highs on that still for for. Absolutely. That era of rap, but you kind of have to look at it through almost a different lens because 
it's uh it's it's so different it's such a different vibe of kendrick and then he immediately greatly improved on it with good kid you know yeah yeah so but like yeah, that 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 that, al- that album has adhd so like you know it's still a, still a good album <laughs> when you guys are ranking um kendrick albums are you considering are you counting overly dedicated in there or no no i don't i, I haven't spent enough time with it i've heard it a few times and it's i would also, rank it well it, below it, I mean, I know a mixtape album, who cares? But it also is technically a mixtape, I always thought. No, no, I mean, R.O.M., I, was, I just went to the page to make sure. It was something that back in the day was considered like a street album type thing, but obviously mm-hmm. he's considered a yeah. I'm actually a big Kendrick Lamar EP guy. I actually think that's a really good album, uh, mixtape. I think that one's quite good. Um, not necessarily better, but I've always thought that one was underrated relative to Overly dedicated. I don't think there's a big gap between the two, but I would put no. them both below section eighty. Yeah, I think I think both of those are like pretty all right. They have some stuff. I kind of wish the beats were better on those projects, but I didn't. That that was those are my takes from probably about five years ago when the last time I had had listened. So uh, I might think differently now, but I think with Kendrick and going back and listening to all of you know Good Kid onward and settling at this album, I think the obvious comparison is the most it has in common with would be damn but but it also has some of some of you know butterfly and untitled unmastered's thematic you know threads in there uh and it's the theatricality too i mean it yeah which yeah brought that back i mean he also kind of threw me between you know i mean the heart usually doesn't sound like what the album's gonna sound like so i didn't really that that didn't throw me at all um Shout out to a lot of people not knowing like the heart series all of a sudden. Like he drops them before every album, guys. What, what, what are we doing? Like there was some some takes about like Galaxy Brain. Like what does the heart mean? And then I'm like, guys, it's just a song he puts out before every album. Like we're on number five now, guys. <laughs> um, but like the first track, I don't know about you guys, but the first track threw me in comparison to the rest of the record. I thought that not we would get every song sounding like that, but I thought that that being your intro and you doing like a, I mean, you doing an Untitled Unmastered song, that I, that kind of, you know, surprised me uh, in relation Definitely to Definitely as a misdirect for the rest of the album. The rest of the album doesn't sound like that. Yeah. And that's a, be- that's a great song, the first track. That's no, it's one of my favorites yeah. on there by far. Yeah. I, I think it's some of his best rapping. I enjoy it more and more every time I hear it. Um, I think it's kind of an intentional misdirect to lead the listener to think you're getting something more like Butterfly or Untitled Unmastered. And I think that rap-wise, it's up there with DNA in terms of how hard he's rapping out the gate. Something like DNA or Wesley's Theory in terms of how hard he's rapping out the gate. And one of the things that reminds me of, I mean, I hate to keep going back to the discourse because I haven't, again, I haven't read any of it. Like, I fucking, I don't really engage with it or anything um, but I think that one of the funniest things about it was when, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, when Butterfly came out, um, there was an interview because uh, Earl, they were talking to Earl about, I guess, I forget, I think I Don't Like Shit came out around the same time as Butterfly. Yeah, it, I don't it, know. yeah same year, 2015. It, yeah. it did. So I guess there, there was an interview with Earl, I forget what outlet, talk, where he's doing promo for the album, and he was talking about the response to Butterfly and how disappointed he was in music journalists for sucking and being lazy. And he was like grading them, and he was like, it's not even an F, it's a C minus, how lazy they are, talking about how this album's so difficult to unpack. He's like, everything's up front. There are a lot of themes, that doesn't mean they're un, like, you know, impenetrable. Yeah. 
themes. And Kendrick right here, it's the same thing. And like, you know, Wesley's theory is very like the hook on that. We should have never gave you money. Like, you know, that's very on Wesley's like, it's very like, he's very upfront about stuff like section 80. Those stories were very upfront moral tales that he's telling on section 80, like the narrative, you know, and in here, it's like, he says, I'm going through a lot of shit. Be scared. Like he's throwing it right in your face. This is going to be a therapy session. The shit he wants to throw at you, he's going to be provocative. He's mm -hmm. really going to go deep into his mental health issues, his psyche. He's going to try and come up with something like we cry together. Like he's going to really go into a headspace that he's briefly explored, if at all, in the past. So I don't know if there's been a whole lot of this is hard to unpack. It's a lot to unpack. But just like Butterfly, that doesn't mean I think he's not subtle is what I'm getting at. And he never has tried to be subtle. And I think that this is emotionally overwhelming in a way that I think Butterfly was like thematically overwhelming and musically overwhelming too. And I think this is like a different, that was another criticism I had on first listen that I think is really probably the criticism that has gone away the most that I've come to terms with the most is that I really, really missed Terrace Martin and to a lesser extent mixed by Ali. I know Ali's on one track. Like their sound seems so critical to Kendrick to me, especially on Pimp a Butterfly. That well, I mean, he's Terrace was a lot less of a part of Damn, but he was still on there, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, just Pimp a Butterfly. And he's not on here at all. There was a big thing on Twitter where it seemed like he was taking shots at Kendrick. Um, yeah. Oh, so. and rappers in yeah, he was like, oh my my rap friends or whatever, quote unquote friends. I'm not fucking with them anymore. Yeah. It was very knowledge esque. If you've ever followed knowledge yep. on Twitter, knowledge. Yes. Yeah. like this every six weeks or so yeah. so that's why you've never got the knowledge earl sweatshirt album as best i can tell something <laughs> but um so i really missed that type of sound now i'm a lot more like every time i listen to it the thing i appreciate the most actually is the instrumentation the recurring motifs the piano the occasional string parts like even on the songs like die hard and stuff that i really don't like i'm liking the production more and more i can find something to appreciate in the melodies what he's doing with his vocals even when i think the vocals aren't saying anything um I completely mm -hmm. went in different directions with that, actually. So okay, I guess but the I really thing like I want to really yeah, like like it. first song. It's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had one of those like uh, big Quint reactions to uh, <laughs> to, to yeah, I was like, Ooh! you know, I was like, God damn! I think I was like outside when I listened to it, and it was fucking embarrassing, you know. Um, and you, you know, walking, I, you were walking around saying I grieve different. Yeah, I was like <laughs> screaming it. I was like screaming it and running around the streets and is you know whatever. Um, God damn, that's a great song. Um, and I, I'm going to be really galaxy brain with this take. Oh, the back half of this song kind of sounds like Radiohead. And it really fucking does. It, 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 it does. It does. Yeah, it does. And if, very emotional. Someone played like uh, on, on uh, I saw a TikTok that was like playing Idiotech side by side. And I was like, oh shit. That drum programming <laughs> is so cold. I, I love like, it. God damn yeah. it. I'm so fucking white and fat. <laughs> oh my god that's it oh man and radiohead did kind of release on the same day as kendrick god bless us all i, I was i it was like i was back in like my yeah. senior year <laughs> of high school again radiohead. i'm like god damn it the smile that album's great wait what did radiohead put out the the smile the uh the uh tom johnny uh duo album that they put out just recently, like now they put out something like a duo. What I never yeah. heard. Of yeah, this might great. Yeah, it didn't show up on my feed or anything. Um, maybe I just showed. I didn't because you've never it. rated anything by them before. They yeah, don't it's, yeah. Technically, they're a new band, but that's not you know. They they sound more like Radiohead than usual. 
what the hell? How have I not heard? How have I not heard anything about this? The smile. I mean, yeah. I've never read anything by them, but I figured if they're all, if it's like those three as members, they should have showed up on my feed. Well, let's complain to Sharifi then. How about that? I'm not. I don't think I'm about to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get muzzled? <laughs> you want to lose your rights, Pat? <laughs> all right, I, I'll get canceled by Sharifi, but then that would have suspension our way by Sharifi, but um, Sharifi won't lend you his uh, brand new Tesla. So yeah. I was about to be very confused because I was thought Tom Skinner was Mike Skinner, who <laughs> the streets, the streets guy. <laughs> oh, if only. Yeah, that is how the world. It's already bolted. It already has thirty five hundred ratings. It came out like two days ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, I heard uh, most of. It. I haven't heard all of it yet, so I, I I withhold. I withheld my my rating, but yeah, it sounded good. Yeah. I will have to check this out. I'm, I was not expecting to learn about a new Radiohead album on the Kendrick episode. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all white and we're all talking about Kendrick. So what's going to happen next? Going to talk about Death Grips? I mean, <laughs> Kanye, we already talked about Kanye for a second. Now, the comment box for this for this uh, the smile record is already uh, horrendous. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, themes, themes of this album. Uh, yes, they are very uh, in your face. I will say that, narratively speaking, this is one of his most uh, obscure... I mean, he's like actively trying to jump all over the place on this, compared to Tim Butterfly. Does any complaint I've ever had about Tim Butterfly, and I have almost none, it's that he literally fucking tells you what the metaphor of the album is. Everything. In the last poem. Everything. Whole thing. You don't even have to think about it. He just tells you everything at the end of the album. Also tells you a bunch of... He, like, <laughs> think about the narrator on this album. This is how the world talks to each other. Uh, stop tap dancing around the conversation. I mean, granted, that's on the least subtle. That's song. a pun. That's a pun. <laughs> what did? Wait, what was the thing? Because uh, on the on the last track and on the intro as well, um, and so a few of the other songs, it was kind of like that little the little choir vocals where I mean, not, yeah. not big choir, but the the little muted choir vocals where it reminded me of. On the intro to Damn, like, Damn. Like, is it yep. wickedness? Is it? Mm -hmm. And so that whole vibe, that's why I get a lot of Damn from this album. Not even just in the the general pop song structure and and uh, songwriting, but I get it just from the whole presentation. It's obviously different, yeah. but well, I think I, the album that it evokes the most is that record. They did it on uh, the first track and also at the beginning of the second disc with uh, Count Yeah, Out. The, which is my favorite mm -hmm. part of that song, by the way. I really wish Count Me Out was more of that than it was. The actual second part of Count Me Out, I really don't care for. The first part of Count Me Out, I love. Yeah, That's my biggest conflict. I was I remember you were conflicted about how much I felt about it. He actually used that line, too. I remember he was conflicted at uh, on um, one song that yeah. I think wasn't on Auntie Diaries. He calls back to that line. I couldn't be the only one who noticed that. But no, was, I know what you're talking about. I yeah. forget the song, yeah. but it was I heard that line. Just thinking, just you mentioned the call, like it was reminding you of "Damn." Like um, I think that was obviously an intentional callback. Uh, the um, intro reminds me of um, "United uh, United in Grief" reminds me of um, most like speaking of "Damn" reminds me more of DNA, but over its pimp a butterfly style. But yeah. I feel like definitely. I think for all the things this might evoke previous Kendrick albums, I think, and I said that certain songs remind me of different rappers. I feel like this feels like uniquely its own statement. Mm -hmm. Like even when yeah. even when it doesn't yeah. work for me, I think, and to its credit, it sounds like uniquely something unlike what he's ever done before. Yeah, I thought of um, with the intro. The first thing I thought of was uh, either the intro or the last song to un to the Untitled record, um, where they both kind of do the. You know, I'm gonna wrap my ass off over this, like, you know, 
uh, you know, jazzy esque beat with these like sick piano. Until um, seven, until five does that. Uh, five does it. Seven is the the banger. No, yeah, that's, five, uh, five, I, five I, yeah, five. Yeah, I was one, thinking one, something. He did a Colbert, right? The that was the one that like, the everybody called the Colbert song. The yeah, 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 yeah. That I I know what the song you're talking about. Um, never had a title, so I can't even say that it had a title because it fucking literally was never titled. But I, I know the song you're referring to. Until three, I think that was three. I don't know. I'm not the best with that. Oh no, yeah, I think. I think that is three. Um, th- that's blue faces, right? Blue face. Uh, no, blue faces is eight. Blue faces eight. How did he do blue faces on on? Was that I thought blue faces was the one he did on Colbert. I thought he did um, three on on a late night. I know he, he did, did that one. Of course, he probably did all three yeah. of them, and we're all just, yeah. <laughs> no, he did. Yeah. You know, he did two of those on on a talk show. Yeah. Eight, I know eight, that three. we didn't. I know no. that we didn't hear two or seven ahead of time because those were like the banger songs i mean you know yeah. relatively speaking and for me five is one of my like top 10 favorite Kendrick. i think that song's a fucking masterpiece okay. five, five is a great song honestly yeah. i mean i'll give up i'm gonna spoil a bit at the very end i'm gonna ask my usual question about where we think this ranks i mean although we kind of already answered that a little yeah. bit and how it's gonna be remembered with time untitled on master is gonna rank very high for me in his when i yeah. do rankings at the end i really love that album I oh think. yeah oh yeah I third said, i think third for me like yeah, untitled is untitled is sick. When I listen to that, and honestly, when I listen to that and damn back to back, not that I needed to again, just because I, like I said, backwards and forwards from all the you know Kendrick listening years ago. But um, it just struck me like how fucking insane his rapping performances are on that. Even even on a record like Damn, where you know you have like a few of the little like you know like the the love song and you know whatever you want to call it, but. Some of the rapping shit that he's doing is just like un- unbelievable. Uh, that was a re- yeah, yeah, that was a hot take I gave in that in the 2017 year end. I said that is his most. I thought that was his best rapping performance on Damn. A lot of you know a lot yeah. of uh, music journalists that that I follow that I, I know that I, these are just not negative comment. Like a lot of music journalists that I respect have a, a similar take not all of them but i've seen some be like yeah damn's his best rapping performance which is interesting to me um but it's a, it's a great great rapping performance so damn like dna feel feel oh my god like fear, fear is you could say fear. Fear is the best song he's ever recorded like i wouldn't i wouldn't hold you yeah. for that the part where he talks about i always say this but like the part where he's like that i'll probably die because x and then he does the whole the framing is so good. Yeah, like I'll probably God. die because that's what you do when you're 17. Like, come on, man. Like, it's crazy. Well, I feel like that's his best concentrated rapping performance. I think Butterfly is his best album in terms of structure and craftsmanship and everything coming together. Mm-hmm. I think you see that rapping performance in pockets on Section 80 and on this album. And uh, but it's like in pocket and otherwise he gets kind of caught up in doing creative writing stuff and like just pushing himself in different directions. And sometimes it, he, but in the writing, like when he tries so hard to write sometimes, especially on section 80, it gets a little clumsier. Yep, that's and, how here, I feel and here I think sometimes it's, I don't know if it's cl- like the pushing himself, I think is more structurally pushing himself. Uh, because there's stuff on here like Mama, I'm Sober that is as good as anything he's ever written and delivered in a rap way that I think I could say. But in terms of, you want to say like rap performance, I don't think it's as good as Fear or DNA. I think like, but mm-hmm. it, 
in a different way, though, like because he's aiming for something different. It's not just like he wrapped his ass off. It's like not like, oh shit, son, did you hear what he said about that sexual abuse thing? His uncle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's different because even yeah. on damn, you could make the argument, and I don't know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe this to be true, but at least it could be put it out there. You could at least make the argument that he is trying to maybe cement his status in the popular eye as the best rapper alive, with heavy air quotes around it, like you know that that distinction. And a song like DNA, but oh, I'm also making songs like Element or Loyalty that slap, but like are hit, are hit songs you know what i mean oh but here's fear you know my deep personal song here's duckworth you know here's triple x yada 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 so i think on this album which obviously we'll get into shortly with the themes but he's just like fuck that like you know i i'm not i'm not after that that aspiration anymore you know i've i've climbed the mountaintop so to speak and now i have this whole a large chunks of you know this generation that holds me up to uh you know puts me inside on this pedestal and also holds me up to this like unbelievable standard well go ahead go ahead which okay i'm gonna say i'm gonna say this stripped away from those expectations stripped away from those ambitions i think it reveals that he's a really fucking good writer because without those and really just kind of in his pocket and focusing on, you know, just these themes and trying to convey them in a very natural way. I think this has some of his least stilted writing. There are very few moments on this album that I felt were like creative writing exercises um, in a way that even on something like Fear, which is a brilliantly structured song, it was very written. Mm -hmm. And there are very few moments on this album that I felt felt written. To where I'm like, okay, this is him doing this, and it has this theme, and it has this structure. And in terms of, it, let's say that the album is a therapy session, that's brilliant. That's great. That's what you want. You want to feel like you're having a conversation with the best rapper alive. That is, well, is think, what okay, he's trying to do. Writing, when I say creative writing exercise, that seems like more pejorative than I intended. Because I feel like there are certain songs that are structured like writing like feel very written but feel like well auntie diaries i feel like feels written front to back and i feel like that's intentional and that's to its credit actually like i feel like the way it's tightly structured and like i don't want to say like an essay or i feel like it's and it's not formal either but i feel like it's literary there's progression and, yes and i feel like yes but there's other stuff on here. Like Mama, I'm thinking mainly of Mama, I'm sober, and Worldwide Steppers that feel like they start with like a more literary, with like a more structured, and then they become like they go a little off the rails because of what he's talking about, the context, the mm -hmm. the person, like how raw and personal it is. Especially Mama, I'm sober. Like he gets so into what he's talking about. Like um, Worldwide Steppers is more him reflecting on his like you know. Like his feelings on race, his feelings on like language through the prism of his own personal experiences, his 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 rising celebrity, and that sort of thing. And like, there's a lot packed into that song. Mm -hmm. 
that was one of the songs that I did that didn't really resonate with me early. That every time I've listened to it, I appreciate it a lot more. And that beat, which is fucking sick, oh, yeah. and the way beat switch mm-hmm. mirrors his switch in personality in the song, his switch in views is fucking remarkable. That's definitely one of my favorite things on here. And I think that, and also the beat switch is kind of when it goes from being more him like you know journaling to himself to him talking to you and like or maybe his thoughts going a little off his reminiscences and the way he's talking like it's more mature or it's coming from an older perspective than like he's still reflecting on the past but it feels like it's him coming from a more old like a more older perspective i guess but it's also more i don't want to say unhinged but more emotional mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and reflected in the beat i mean i know he skipped song two there but I think that was just kind of an example of what I was talking about with written, but not not clum not clumsy, but right like creative writing in a way that I'm not saying it as an insult, not clumsy. And but N95, uh, I think, is a little some of that some of that writing, some of those punchlines didn't really work for me. I thought the rapping on it's amazing, his flow on it's amazing, but I feel like that the flow is kind of letting some, I mean, I, I would have to go to genius, unfortunately, to point out some of the lines, but I don't think all of the lines on that one work. That was the first time I was kind of like, I think that's the first time he talked, he mentions being canceled, which he does not mention as much as the uh, Denzel Curry album. Thankfully uh, <laughs> here, um, disappointment section. Uh, but cause this reminded me of that a little bit, mainly like the intros, like what the Curry album tries, I feel like sat, spent a lot of time sounding like, but I think that also tries to set, take on heavy themes the way this album does. And this album, I will say to its credit, even though I rated the Curry album better, I think I would probably switch the ratings. I think this one's getting closer to a seven, whereas I've had no desire to listen to the Denzel album again. Um, but yeah, yeah. There, I was, there's, clumsiness. I there's clumsiness on this. This is the first time I would say that there are lines that didn't hit for me. And on repeat listens, it's still not hitting for me, even though I really like his flow on it. I enjoy N95 very much. I was in an Uber last night, and they were blasting N95. And, hey, you know, it has a good use as a single. Um, it is a lot of fun, and it's great to just hear Kendrick just loosely just dump these fucking one-liners on us. And they're not all going to land. You know, one of the things I didn't like about the Denzel Curry album is that in comparison to this, and by the way, I think I think Melt Man is really, I think it's a really good album. I do. But in comparison, we're talking about who feels more free and who thematically is really describing things and getting into the meat of things. I felt like that Denzel album and a lot of his writing can be very punchline heavy and mm-hmm. it distracts and detracts from his storytelling at times to where I'm like, I'm waiting for the next one liner, the next quotable. And I, I don't worry about that with Kendrick. It's, it might happen. It, it probably won't With N 95. He very heavily leans into that because he wants a banger. You know, that's the kind of song this is. And it is what it is. It, you know, it kind of reminds me of some recent Kanye work um, where it's very heavy on the one liners. It's a little goofy. There's a lot of defensiveness in here. There's some, just some boomer ass takes. Um, <laughs> You know, it is what it is. Uh, I can phase most of it out because the beat's grown on me. Uh, those synths kind of killed me the first time. <laughs> um, they're, a little, they're a little startling. <laughs> um, but now, after, m- after many listens, it's just a very brief and explosive moment separating uh, two of my favorite songs on the album. And I can accept it. I wouldn't say it's in my you know favorites on the album, but I think it was a decent single choice. To be honest, I haven't, I haven't watched the video yet. Um, probably should i haven't honestly i haven't seen the hearts video yet so well the I, hearts I, video is great i haven't i did not know n95 was the single now that i think about it i don't know what else i would pick as the single father time is like has a great sampa hook but it's also yeah. 
I don't know if daddy issues is really like something you want <laughs> to lead with. Um, but Father uh, Time is is probably my one of my two favorite songs on the album with uh, United in Grief or, or maybe Mother I Sober. Yeah, that's definitely my top my top three. That that hook. Someone said that uh, on social media that that hook is the closest we we're gonna get to a Sampa album for the next few years again. So I was like, yes, that's absolutely true because he hasn't dropped in ages and. <laughs> won't drop again. <laughs> yeah, he sounded like he got shot out of a fucking cannon. Which um, is, the, I, the, the energy is so good. It's, it's just like the early morning wake up. Like it just comes right in. Um, it's perfect. Like fifteen seconds. Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably, probably my favorite moment on the album is is that hook. Just outstanding. Um, yeah, and it's 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 tough not to walk around saying like you know no chaser like you know <laughs> after after listening to that song so. It's uh, uh, Father Time is probably my pick for the album. Uh, the emotional resonance of some later stuff probably over will overtake it in time. But boy, that first listen was staggering. There's so many cool chord progressions and shifts in this song. It's very woozy. Shit's going backward. It's just like crazy, crazy drums programming. Um, oh, it's just a dizzying song. But at its core, it introduces the theme of therapy with the opening uh, skit with him and uh, Whitney which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that kind of creates this beginning of this narrative. It kind of shows up obviously with, I grieve different and things like that earlier on the album where that's kind of foreshadowed, but this is the moment where it's like, Hey, you really need to get therapy. You're, you're really struggling. You need to, I, I'm seeing you not right. doing so hot right now. And then that of course is made concrete with some of the themes about his, his daddy issues, which of course are very, very well sketched out in the song. I love this track. I think it's very important, as some other tracks are as well. Um, probably my favorite on the album, but we will see. And as we, you know, those themes would continue, but as we kind of hurtle toward the middle of the album, you know, we're getting there. I, I think it's time to talk about um, about Kodak, about Gil Scott Kodak. <laughs> uh, tap, tap, to slam poetry Kodak on on some of these. So I think that that's because that starts with the, the interlude for Rich Spirit, right? That's when it that's yes. when it starts starts you know yeah. going in. Little tap dancing vibes. Yeah, tapping, tap dancing around the issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> when uh, yeah, I think um I think that's yeah. when cuz that, that at that point I was like, "Oh, like Kodak's going to be like narrating the album." Like I didn't that that's just like a I didn't even realize that that that, that Kendrick was was in the Kodak like that. So I was like, "Damn, I'm, yeah, shout, shout out yeah. Kendrick." But Playing the role of a comment on kid, the first Kid Cudi album. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, their opinions might not be that far off on, on <laughs> certain things. You ever listen to that common skit at the end of um, some of those Like Water for Chocolate songs? <laughs> uh, but with regard to Kodak, um, obviously there's been a lot of uh, you know writing and and discussing about his role on the album especially as it relates to some of his past uh, you know transgressions and what have you not obvious to pat he has shielded himself from this information no no but i'm I, I there, 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 there has been talk about it and writing there, oh yes there has now i think the most interesting and the one that i agreed with um take about this and i'm just going to uh, paraphrase an excerpt from a review. Uh, I saved it in my my phone. I believe this is from from the. Uh, I believe it was from the Craig Jenkins review, who I thought wrote a very good review of the record. Um, he said, and I'm gonna find it real quick. 
He said, um, multiple guest spots from Kodak Black, the talented South Florida rapper, an aspiring Hebrew Israelite convert whose legal woes include pleading guilty to a lesser charge after a sexual assault allegation. Don't square with songs for women or calls for men to end cycles of abuse. In parentheses, people think Kodak is here as a provocation and counterpoint, a voice from the streets to play off the mansions and jeeps. But what if he and Kendrick are just on similar faith journeys? I found that interesting. That little last sentence there of like, what if he and kind of where it's not just the counterpoint, like. That's very obvious. It's almost a very derogatory toward Kodak. Oh, he's a fucking scumbag. And so here's Kendrick. And so there's a contrast because this guy's the savior and this guy's evil. No, 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 no. This album is in many ways about reclamation and recovery. Absolutely. So I I actually like that take a lot. And I think criticism of Kodak and some other others like Kodak um, it, it, obviously removing some context of what may or may not has happened with Kodak in the past, it's hard not to be like, hmm, what do you really mean by that? Like, you, you know, the, you know, the, the Drewski gif where it's like, what do you mean by that? What, do you mean by that? Yeah. Like, what exactly do you mean by that? When you, when you say certain things about Kodak or rappers that are from where Kodak is from or, or rap about mm-hmm. those similar topics or look like Kodak. You know, when you when you when you counteract, when you try to compare or, or contrast, you know, with Kendrick, what are you actually saying? Well, when people uh, were yeah. about, um, him having a scumbag on this album, I thought they were talking about the Eckhart Tolle uh, cameos, but mm. not to minimize the Kodak stuff. But yeah, uh, but no, the Kodak stuff. I feel like it's. I'm glad I've avoided the discourse because I actually think his contributions are great if you ignore who he is but it's like and it's like you have to think about it in terms of does Kendra uh, everybody all the think pieces and shit are going to impose some narrative based upon you know Kodak's crimes obviously and his like persona why is that the sole reason he's on there Mm -hmm. is that is this Marilyn Manson on jail right essentially but Marilyn Manson sounds like shit on jail, whereas I think Kodak sounds really, really good on both his, you know, the My Way Home slam poetry Kodak part and in a different way on Silent Hill. And his yeah. Silent Hill verse, I think, is actually outstanding, especially and then you put it into that framework. And then you have to think about Kendrick's themes have always been about themes of redemption. He's a very religious artist. I, I didn't know that about him, about Kodak's conversion thing, uh, about thing, you know, Kodak's conversion. Yeah. Uh, I I had I think I had seen something about it a while back, but it didn't re-register until I read that article. So he, it's always been like redemption's been a recurring theme through Kendrick's work as long as I can remember. So I could see it being sort of a theme that he's playing here. That's why Kodak's here, especially if you think about and you unpack the Silent Hill verse. I think more than anything, which is an interesting thing that. Uh, that, well, I gotta stop saying thing. An interesting tack to take with Silent Hill, which otherwise, on its face, just seems like a, pl- a radio of streaming, stream trolling play. Just like if you've listened to it, that's one of those songs. But lyrically, Kodak's verse on Silent Hill, especially at the, the end of it, I feel a lot more 
a lot deeper themes. I actually think Kendrick's the weakest part of Silent Hill. That song's caught a lot of shit, but I think it's one of the highlights. Or yeah. at least one of the keys to the themes of the album and the key to the theme, uh, the key to why Kodak's here. And Kodak being here is not, if you could deal with, I guess I'm kind of a hypocrite because if you go back to the Donda episodes, like I've never listened to the Manson version of Jail. I eventually did came and listen to it. I, I heard it on like the deluxe, I believe. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like shit. He sounds like shit on it, but whatever. So, but I was like avoiding that forever. And it's like, but it's not a deal breaker to me that he's there. And certainly, and it's not a deal breaker to me that Kodak's there. But I think that Kodak here is not one of the things I would call. I said something about Kendrick making empty provocations. And some of the things I say, I think he says here, I think some of the statements on N95 are empty. I don't think Kodak's presence by itself is an empty provocation. And I think that his vocally, his contributions are valid. And originally I was going to say that there's a possibility that Kendrick just wanted him there because he liked him as an artist. But now hearing what uh, Caleb brought up, I think, and thinking about Kendrick's recurring themes of redemption arcs in his music and his Christian theme, uh, recurring Christian themes in his music and, you know, his very vocal Christianity. I think that there's valid reasons thematically and artistically for Kodak to be here. Obviously yeah. not using his, you know, fucking crimes and monstrous behavior, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. And then that's, and that's the thing is like, uh, it, there was a great point um, made just in me reading the conversation around this album um, in, a, in another Discord server, um, where you know someone talked about like uh, how there's all this like weird discussion about um, with regards to the cancel culture stuff, and then oh you talked about this, but then you had Kodak in your album, but there's a whole like oh man like when will rappers be canceled for the things that they say in their songs, you know like. Uh, oh, it's just the music. Like they get away with all this stuff, and it's like, well, actually, people that look and sound and talk like Kodak, and you know, or, and among many other rappers, have been canceled across the board since, like, you know, quote unquote, street rap was a thing, right? Like even back to like the NWA days. So, you know, uh, rappers, you know, street rappers, black musicians have been getting silenced for a long time now. So. I read some stuff about the, you know, whole cancel culture uh, uh, debate that had me rethink some of my initial impressions about it. And initially, I, I leaned that it was kind of, you know, on the cornier side for him to be doing that. But I think there is more, a little more nuance to it than than initial uh, impressions. While still, not, I'm not going to act like all the lines personally land for me. Um, but at least in in regards to having Kodak on your album and talking about some of the things they're talking about, I think it's a, it's I, I think it's worth a like an actual serious discussion, you know. Yeah, um, a point I want to make is that you know if we're talking about Kanye for a second, there were moments on this album that reminded me a lot of Pablo, not in the structure, but in terms of his mindset. Um, there's a lot of wolves in terms of how mm. Kendrick is thinking about his. Children, think about the sharks line, and compare that to the, the wolves, the the, uh, the lambs wool, and how he's looking out for his children, specifically Enoch on Worldwide Steppers, and you think about how Kendrick is approaching this kind of—I wouldn't even want to call it individualistic mindset, although it inherently is. I'll talk more about that later um, in relation to his therapy, but in how he's kind of separating himself from 
the culture, which he brings up on the heart part five. Um, and it's very interesting because on lines like where he's talking about cancel culture, yeah, you could say it affects everybody, but he's very specifically, I believe, talking about black people. He's talking about his culture. He's talking about his peers. He's talking about how cancel culture affects his own in the way that he talks about many of these issues affecting his own, because this album is about his own. This is about his culture, his family and himself. And so, you know, is cancel culture a problem for his culture in terms of, is it being like, is it being used in a very harsh, heavy handed way in order to keep the Kodak blacks of the world down? And that is something that I've had to think about a little bit more as I'm kind of approaching this album. I don't think it's a broad stroke where it's all applying to us equally. I don't think it applies to us all equally. I don't think that's what Kendrick is saying. I think he's definitely saying that the way cancel culture affects his own culture and affects the people around him is particularly harmful. And that's the perspective that he's coming from. Mm -hmm. um, but, but again, like if you, the, on first pass, it's just a tough first listen, man. It really is. Because lines mm -hmm. like that, you don't expect to come out of Kendrick's mouth, even though he's had some bad takes over the years. He's had things I've disagreed with. Um, he definitely had like a, at least in the back in the day, I got a little bit of a uh, a bootstraps mindset from Kendrick, a little bit, um, and it's kind of funny because I don't really feel that way anymore because of the heart part five, which is very much about how uh, the culture perpetuates its own toxicity in the context of uh, fucking you know um, in incredible like systemic racism, so you can't really fucking escape it no matter what you do, which is something that I don't think he necessarily would have said on Smell Butterfly, which is very much an album about becoming an individual within a very difficult context. Um, but on this album, again, he's kind of talking about the individual, but it's in a different way, in a much more cynical way, because he saw what 2020 did to his own culture. And so that's kind of what I have to say about that. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's just something I'm kind of kicking around. I thought it was interesting. I also think that just building off of, or at least a, a side side door from your point, um, there's not many people that I think whose voice could be more powerful about something like watching your fellow, you know, black artists get torn down by, you know, the the fucking you know evils of society. Also, you know the 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 building the blocks in place you know and, and whether it's music industry or otherwise um then someone like kendrick moore who has you know been around this been a serious high profile member of the music industry for a decade now and has even before that grew up in an area you know defined by you know it only exists because of systemic racism so um you know, I, I I think almost who better to to speak on stuff like that than than Kendrick, who has you know at this point thirty plus years of uh, experience. Yeah, he uh, he 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 created Twelve Butterfly, but he is not your savior. You know, um, he's trying yeah. really hard to create his uh, Make Him Unlike You album with uh with this one. <laughs> But he didn't really succeed, I don't think, <laughs> at doing no. that. He didn't succeed at all. No, no. The, the same machine that helped lift up Spoon Butterfly in a very mainstream setting fucking loves this album. The Metascore speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, um, 
you keep mentioning Pablo, and I think I agree that I mean, while Jesus is the Make Him Unlike You album, you mentioned Pablo, and Pablo is an album that sort of like Jesus is abrasive and you know very much prickly and just you know make him unlike you. Whereas Pablo is the one that bakes its criticisms into it. It's like so I miss the old Kanye type mm. thing. And you mentioned wolves, and first of all, you mentioned wolves, and I hear a lot of wolves aesthetically. Uh, aesthetically, in terms of a lot of the vocal production, some of the stuff I like, I hear a lot of like the Sia Vic Mensa type harmonies and Frank's the and Frank's song, like that sort of stuff. I don't, I feel like that's what he's going for, and only really hits sometimes, like the Samfa song. I think, well, there's an obvious parallel on Pablo there, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of the criticisms that like the self criticism aspect of Pablo. Like Crown, which is one of the songs that's really grown on me. I feel like that's pretty much him anticipating what he thinks people are going to think of the album. Maybe wants people to think of the album. If you take it in the Kanye sense of I'm trying to get this reaction out of you. And -hmm. I think there are certain lines where he is trying to offend like his, you know, he calls him a cracker audience. (laughs) Like at one point he does call us crackers. So I wonder what you would think of these three crackers talking about this. (laughs) He probably he tries not to. So, well, and then the last, the last line of N95, by the way, those last two lines about, about face, fuck a critic, basically. And then it goes into that drop with that, like, fucking buzzsaw synthesizer. That is so fucking Jesus. I love it. Like, it's, it's so intense and it just drops the fucking song. And then we're in worldwide steppers and things get even weirder. I mean, that beginning of that album is so, is so cool, but there, there are Kanye references all over this album. Well, speaking of Kanye, I mean, we, First of all, we skipped Die Hard, like because it was not memorable. We don't not, not much, fun. Much I fun. like it. Whatever. <laughs> nah, Die Hard sucks, dude. Die Hard's not. <laughs> Die Hard's probably the worst song. <laughs> ah, honestly, is like Die Hard or the Baby Keem song is the worst song on the album. I, those are the two that I can't see growing on me any way, shape, or form. Die Hard has like Die Hard to me feels like he's doing a reference track for somebody else's mid album. I, uh, you know what I need? I need a better feature than Blast. I I thought it. You know, I thought that was a really mid kind of feature. It just well, not. He can do better too. I've heard better from him. That's yeah, it wasn't a good hook. That's my. I think that's my big beef with the song. It just starts kind of mid, and then it. I really love. Who's the other feature on that? Because I love her. I love her feature. She's great. Um, she's I don't Amanda something, but I don't know what that's, she's. She I does great. Uh, uh, but yeah, Kendrick's all right. <laughs> no, it, it feels like uh, her her i'm sorry i was looking at the amanda reifer page um it feels like he's just doing a reference track for somebody else's album like i that's that's the impression i get off that i hadn't heard it that way patrick but i i agree with you i like um, the way it's sequenced i i actually like it because it kind of breaks up the incredible intensity of the everything but that song i like where it is um i don't like the sequencing of the middle of the album but i like where die hard is i think that kind of helps it land for me if it had been the middle of the album like next to purple hearts for example mm-hmm. Then it would it would have it would have slowed the the momentum. Which, by the way, I think because we're essentially we did the Kodak stuff already, and we talked yes. about Father Time. Well, I was going to say real quick because my transition that got completely botched was you know we talked about Kanye moves. Rich Spirit to me, uh, and Pablo also. Uh, Rich Spirit to me feels like maybe one of the most Kanye moments on there in that it's just a, it doesn't really hit. I mean, I see what he's going for there and talking about. And it just doesn't land for me so much. It's a lot. It kind of feels a little bit no more parties in L.A. to me in terms of some of the stuff he's trying to address. But not joke, not jokey, though. Like no. in L.A., mm-hmm. it's like obviously a punchline fest. 
and that does occasionally get at real issues within those punchlines, whereas this is much more serious. But it feels like it's trying for he's trying to relate universally through his own personal problems, but it keeps me. And again, it's not necessarily for me because I'm not maybe part of the community he's trying to reach, but still. It's very. It keeps me at arm's length because it feels like rich people problems. But I know that it's more than that. But the way he expresses it a lot of the times, and it's not as pronounced as it is with Kanye, who seems like he's lost all touch with reality more and more, like lost in a one percenter sort of mindset, which I do not think is the case with Kendrick at all. But I feel like the way he's expressing stuff on that, expressing fears about his family, come across more about like celebrity apprehensions. But I know he's trying to talk more about his family and his culture on that song than he is just, you know, one percenter type problems. And technology, because he would never live his life on a computer or or listen to a podcast, you know. And like, thank God we're going to listen to this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love I the hook on that song. That's about the only thing I can say about it. I love the hook. It's very sticky. The hook's good. Uh, I don't know what the fuck it has to do. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Okay, congruous to the rest of the song. I was also going to say that podcast uh, artists that Caleb does on podcasts with other people, they listen to his podcast sometimes. On ones that I'm on, the only one, maybe Mr. Motherfucking X Choir will listen to his episode. <laughs> but beyond that, if we ever do a Vic Spencer episode, I don't know if anyone that I cover is actually going to listen to ours. I don't know. There might be. No, I'm not saying this has happened, but Earl has his ear to the ground always. You never, you never know. I'm, I'm serious. Earl hears everything, so he's very online. I wouldn't be surprised if he came across it and then, like, 20 minutes in, was like, "Eh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bail on this." But. He should tweet out that he should tweet out a link to our episode on Sick, but say it's actually the secret album with Alchemist. And then, oh my god! It'd be, it'd be, we, we might have, we we would actually get to pay Wyatt after that. After that, <laughs> Those that shit guys. doesn't exist. Change my mind. <laughs> so I think we've re- we've reached. Uh, I want to do this. Can we Purple Hearts? How do you guys feel about that? Before we talk about the song, we well, yeah, like that we already covered. We, we each cry together. Are we going to always say that we kind of covered that? Or I was going to say if you guys want to talk about it, we could, but I'd rather get. I want. I want to. Yeah. Okay, so let's purple hearts. Yay or nay on purple hearts first. Uh, Okay, my feeling on purple hearts has changed a lot. In that, at first, I thought it was a complete miss. First listen, complete miss. Why the fuck did he do this? Nothing I like about it. Second listen, I like the beat. I like parts of it, but not together. I think Kendrick's boring as shit on it. Third listen. I actually think the Ghostface verse is great. And I think what Kendrick was trying to do here was like his own version almost of Churchill a ghost. But Ghostface comes with like a much more serious, not party verse on it. Like it's, I still don't think Kendrick's doing much on it. Cause the thing about this, and I'll notice this more on the second half of the album, I think. Although the title track, I think he does more with, there are these singing Kendrick songs where I feel like he's not doing much in terms of his performance. I agree. And Crown, I've come ac- I've come around on because I think Crown actually is much more of a sustained vibe that thematically he doesn't need to do much that his words are carrying a lot of weight on. But then like songs like this one, I feel like he's just literally kind of wandering around the song, not doing very much. And then he hands the song off to other people. He's just on like hand. You, you'll notice this on the Baby Keem song too. Like he'll just hand it over. 
to like other artists to like another pop artist in this case ghostface and ghostface gets kind of like that legend ghostface treatment like on new god flow or just builds up to him and he just that's the, this is the best ghostface performance i can remember in years so in that way it's a strong ending to the first half but in another way it's not because it's not a strong kendrick song and it just kind of doesn't really thematically seem to tie anything up either so it's a myth for me I like it more than I did at first. I actually really like the instrumental. I like individual parts of it, but it's I don't know what it's doing here ultimately. I like the I like the instrumental a lot and I love yeah. the features on it. The features are really, really good. I don't you know, Kendrick has the little hook bit, but even then when he's doing the hooks, you know, Summer is like harmonizing with him and she sounds so great on it that I think I come away more impressed with, you know, her and Ghostface. And I, I do really like the beat though. In terms of like you know, mid-tempo R&B songs on the album. I would, I definitely save this one just because I think it's a good, it's like a nice, it's a nice vibe. Um, this song is a really cool contrast off of uh, "We Cry Together" because, well, we all kind of know how "We Cry Together" ends. Yeah. Um, it ends. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it ends the way that uh, I've I've experienced this myself. I think uh, we've had our uh, maybe I experience uh, an aggressive fight that uh, takes a turn that uh, you might not have expected. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, um, this song's about you know eating ass and, uh, <laughs> and getting head on the getting head on the balcony once in a while and. Uh, it's a, it's a vibe, and I love the hook of Shut the Fuck Up When You Hear Love Talking. A wonderful re uh, response to the previous song comes through in the end. Whatever love it is, toxic as fuck, nonetheless, love talks instead of them on this song. So it's not exactly a deep song in terms of content, but there's chemistry, which I think is awesome. Uh, I also love Summer on this song. I think she's harmonized beautifully on this. They play off each other really well, which Kendrick does a really good job, especially in the final verse with her, uh, just playing right off of her. His verse is kind of average, mm -hmm. um, but to his standards, certainly. But I think it's all there. And then Ghost just takes a fucking sledgehammer and the whole thing. And then, then the first disc ends. You know, uh, It's debatable whether this is a good way to close the disc. I would say not very, but I like how these two songs actually how they play off each other thematically i think they work well i'm just not sure about how this ends disc one but then i don't know if i really liked how disc one of we got it from here ended either i don't really necessarily think that made any sense so oh well you know i it feels arbitrary to me these discs honestly that's my take i think this is like a summertime 06 situation personally yeah yeah, yeah. yeah only the second disc is way of this is way better than this in the second disc of summertime with six i thought that was a much weaker disc than disc one um could use some editing it's my opinion mm -hmm. i will say you just kind of sold me on purple hearts having a purpose because i didn't even make that connection um possibly because i haven't been able to think about that in the rest of year since i've had a child um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and when you have anyway <laughs> forgotten that you that, that was a thing that can happen oh no <laughs> so in terms of uh, we'll, I, I wanted to pitch this on the fly because i know some of the longer discussions are we're going to have we cry together and then those you know the the, the auntie diaries through the end of the album run okay. so Mother my Ice. my thing was did, do, did either of you have anything you want to we already did silent hill already but like anything about savior or we already talked about crown count me out like any 
anything of that run, which to honestly, outside of Silent Hill, I could kind of take or leave most of the other songs. Like I've come around a little bit on Count Me Out and Crown a little bit, but I still don't I, really. I so, I'm not really sold on like the the savior tracks. Uh, I'm not. Here. I'm surprised. I fucking love those two. I was so impressed by Keem on that interlude. I, that's a hard beat to rap over. And I thought that was a better verse than pretty much anything. He had a melodic blue. I, well, that I agree with you, but I would argue that's kind of a low bar. Cause that was a kind of a mid album. <laughs> I liked first at first, but it kept going and going and going the inner, like I it just kept going. And then yeah, the song itself, it's just, how pissed off do you think Black Hippie has to be that they have to listen to Baby? They're going to have to listen to Baby Keem on every Kendrick album for eternity now. And Absol knows that he's never going to get to spit his third eye bars on a Kendrick album ever. <laughs> hot is scorching hot, molten hot take. Savior is element with more depth. <laughs> so there. Oh, Element's better. It's got a better beat. No, it doesn't. No, Savior has a way more interesting beat with more layers. I love Element. It slaps. But to me, Savior has more to it. That's just my opinion. And the anger's there, too. I think they they have a lot in common. The Savior part does nothing for me. I think the whole second, like, honestly, from... I mean, again, it's... It's just so up and down. It used to, again, on first listen, it just did nothing for me pretty much all the way through to Auntie to Auntie Diaries, with like the exception of the Kodak feature, which I, you know, we've been over that. And then on repeat listens now, I like how it's, I really like the way Count Me Out starts. Then it loses me. Then Crown pretty much gets me back again. Then the beginning of Silent Hill loses me. Then Kodak gets me back. Then Savior gets me back for like the beginning of Keem's part, then loses me again. And it gets me back. Like it's really bad. See- like it's just so up and down there are parts within songs that get me and then it loses me again then i think it's pretty much auntie diaries to the end pretty much has like it has me like even though the title track mr morale i think it's got a week for a title track i mean it's another one of those ken like i think it's one of the better kendrick singing songs on there and it's i'm liking it more on repeat listens but it fits within the end run but again like even then on that one it's like you know you have like I understand the need for breathers because you have the two big, super intense songs. And then you have like in between them, you have like the kind of air, like breather period ones. Although mirror is pretty intense too. Mm-hmm. It feels up and down, up and down, up and down. Like sequencing is the big issue. The more I look at this and kind of go over it, like, you know, on the fly on air, I just feel like it's the sequence thing that's going to make it. So I don't repeat this. Like I repeat other Kendrick albums. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I don't really have too much. I, I don't like the, the savior portion just has not been doing it for me. And Keem did not impress me. He just went on too long. Um, like, I feel like that was the sort of thing that if you kept it to like a half that, half that length, it would have been the most impressive Keem part for me. He still never really showed me much of anything. Yeah. I mean, I was pro Keem in like 2019, but he's kind of fallen off since then as his like, you know, he's, his star has gotten brighter, which is interesting. I also don't really like how he he writes Kendrick, um, but I, I I get it. Like, I understand. I understand why, because there is, like, you know, obviously the, the similarities there. But, yeah, I was kind of disappointed by, by that song. Um, I think Silent Hill was, like, by far the best song out of those, like, first four or five even though the hook is like objectively hilarious but i love the hook and it's the it, only it is, thing i love funny. about the song it's it i've got to disagree yeah, i, don't I like think i think kodak has <laughs> the best verse on that five song run i mean kodak absolutely 
Yes, you don't. You, I guess yeah. You don't even like the Kodak verse because I think that's a great like. He I like knows exactly where to pause and stuff. Yeah, it's solid. You. It's yeah, it's solid. I don't. I don't like the beat that much. It's just. It's not what I want at that point of the album. If that makes sense. Like there's no. just. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, Mr. Morale may be in that spot. I feel like that song should be in the middle of the album to fucking give it some life because the middle, especially with Crown, there's a point where it's just so heavy. Like yeah. everything just fucking heavy like in the middle. And I think that might have helped like at the break might have been really good. And I don't really like it where it is. So we, we all have the same issue with sequencing. Yeah. I think we all do. It's just mono. It's just monochrome. It's just like I say, it's up and down, up and down. But I feel, I feel like he was trying to give breathers. But ultimately, like even he's not. It's just within the same shade. It just feels heavy and monochrome. I feel like the first, like all the upbeat stuff, somehow ended up on. If you can consider stuff like you know, Father Times upbeat is, compared yeah. to a lot of the stuff on disc two. Which, if you consider the you know lyrical content of Father Time, is funny to say because it's not very upbeat. But in tempo-wise, and with that hook, it's way more upbeat than pretty much the entirety of Disc 2. Yeah. And the I don't know. I don't like Count Me Out as an opener to Disc 2, honestly. I think Mr. Morale kicking it off might have helped. Um, there's just a point where it feels so heavy. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember how Count Me Out goes. I, it never sticks. I like it when I'm listening to it, but it doesn't stick with me. The first half is great, as you said, Pat. And then yeah. it kind of dips. I don't know. I like it, but I, it just doesn't stick with me. So as a, as a disc opener, I would I would pick something else. Count me out. Kind of the first half reminds me of the best possible non corny version of Childish Gambino's Outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the second half reminds me of the most boring possible version of Tyler's Run It Up. Hmm. I can see it. Oh, someone said something positive about Run It Up. That's nice. I feel like everyone shits on that song. I love that I song. I like that song. Run It Up is a great song. song. Catchy. That's a good song. But so do we want to do you want to handle the big the big topic the songs? Big, the big ones. The big yeah. ones? Yeah. Our big oh, if we must. <laughs> the three the three big ones we got we got We Cry Together, Auntie Diaries, and uh, Mother I Sober, I suppose. Yeah. And so, so we're not we're not talking about Mirror too much. I guess we can talk about that at the end. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can talk about how it ties things up. I mean, I think sonically, um, I had a really meme thought that isn't really accurate, but I guess it's kind of almost become a meme on this show is um, that it was kind of like the euphoria, uh, the euphoria of not the show, the uh, Mac Miller album closer of the album a little bit because it was so singy, but it actually fits way more. It's not ear splittingly terrible like euphoria on watching movies it's it's you know but i think musically again it's yet another one of those songs that's like kendrick singing like i don't think he does but then he has the rap part in the middle though so we'll get to i guess yeah we can talk about it how it closes because i think there's some i go back and forth on how i feel about how it is as a closer but i remember the going to the discord the discord hated it night one i remember i was there and it was like what the fuck is this mother eyes sober is so amazing and what the fuck they should have just ended it with mother eyes sober i completely disagree but i remember thinking the same thing where i'm like i don't know this is kind of a dud and it's grown on me a lot but we'll get to it well, we'll get to it when we get to it. All right, so let's. I guess let's do it in order so we can, you know, we'll stick Auntie Diaries in the middle, and I'll keep <laughs> keep switching between Auntie and Auntie. I don't know why, but I keep doing that. I've noticed. But all right, we cry together. Um, you know, domestic violence by the RZA crossed with Never Abandon Your Family by Kanye West. So, what did we think the first time we heard this? Collect like, what did you think the first time you heard We Cry Together? Yeah, we think you. 
Uh, I didn't know that it was like theater class. Like that was my that was kind of my first, and I wasn't. I didn't even mean it in a dismissive way. First few minutes, I'm like, oh, this beat's sick. Um, and then I was like, oh, and then once you know Taylor Page came in as and they're doing the the back and forth, I was like, oh, I mean, this is like good, but this is like Eminem. And then and then I was like, oh, did I just compare Kendrick to Eminem? Ouch. And then I felt bad for doing that. And then toward the end, I was like, this this was good, but I'm just never going to listen to it again. I'm sorry, Kendrick. You know, but I respect, like, I'm not shitting on the song, but just not personally for me. I, um, I mean, I, I thought it was one of the best beats on the album until the song itself kicked in. And then, you know, the beat itself doesn't really change. And the beat itself is not really the point. It's, um, I got the point of the song very quickly it kept making that um it's certainly better than the songs has been well i think it's better than the eminem songs it's been compared to yeah uh, for sure again low bar but you have to remember that those songs are in very different ways acclaimed like kim was acclaimed as like you know like great character work and a great piece of somehow i mean i'll let trav have that one because trav was gonna go i know trav's yeah. got some yeah. for that but um it was acclaimed as, you know, just really in-depth into his psyche and some of the best writing in hip-hop history. And this is, it's not, and I'll let us explain why, but, you know, this is better than that. Um, it's just, as a song, like, thematic, and thematically it's good for the album because, like, and obviously, okay, so my original shit post review of this album, Ranch Post, whatever it was, just based, I hadn't heard more than a few seconds of it, really, and it was based on the cover. It was just Kenny the Rapper, The Bigger Day. And that was just doing this album a terrible disservice because it's, of course, it's way better than the big day. Most things are, most things are. But one thing it does have in common with the big day is this is clearly a lot of this is not for not just for us because we're you know three crackers who overanalyze music, but you know it's also not for the listening audience that he's selling it to either. It's for his family, it's for his wife, and I think that. This is it's a therapy session, and this is clearly the most direct part. And per, like, I hadn't picked up on the Purple Hearts thing after it was also clearly for his wife in more ways than one. But you know, that that's why, and that's why this suite closes the first side of the album. I didn't really pick up on all that on the first listen because it's just so fucking abrasive. Um, second listen, I'm not gonna lie, I got most of the way through it and I skipped it before the hilarious punchline at the end, and I got to appreciating purple hearts more third listen i was in the car today and i ended up getting to a part where i was in traffic and i had it on my phone in my car and my car is a 2009 car that doesn't do the bluetooth so i don't have an auxiliary cable so i get to something we covered this the insane clown posse episode i believe i can't skip it so it was up there with what i was listening to uh icp's my homie's baby mama in the car for most <laughs> trapped with a song in a car that i can't skip uncomfortable moments of just listening to this very high volume of the lyrics to this song just blaring stuck in traffic from <laughs> a bunch of fucking doug mastriano voters <laughs> what a, i don't know how a... much precedence that has for trap but but Kale knows exactly oh uh, I, I i know i see the signs you know yeah i, I, I see them <laughs> Way too many signs. So that was that was uncomfortable for a lot of reasons, but it also confirmed that I'm just I might 
I see myself coming back to the album more than I did on first listen for sure. On first listen, I was like, I'm never going to revisit this. And it's like, I don't have, I think, the attachment to Kendrick as an artist that you guys have, even though I really respect him. I'm always going to check what he puts out. And I feel like he's always going to put out something that's going to have some value to me no matter what. But I don't think he's in my all-time favorites list the way he is for you guys. But I was like, this is probably the first thing he's put out that I'm not going to want to revisit. But after three listens, I'm like, I'm going to revisit this in some form. I don't think I'm ever... and. Even Purple Hearts, I feel like I'm going to one day. Like I feel like it grows on me a little bit more. This just doesn't grow on me. I can really appreciate it, but it doesn't. It's not a grower. Like the more I can listen to it more, if I have to, and appreciate it in terms of the context of the album. But that first listen abrasiveness has never really shaken off of me, which may be the point. I don't know. So that it's was my first. Yeah. It is fairly obvious, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I mean, that it is blunt force. Um, what I what I got out of it eventually, my first my first was was just, it was very abrasive. It is, you know, it is very shocking. It's very forward and it lets you know exactly what it's trying to say pretty quickly. It's the nuances of it that makes it really effective and replayable as a as a conversation of its own kind. The ebbs and flows is very they're very accurate to an actual argument which i think is an effective writing tactic and it's why it's so much better than a song like kim if we're going to compare it to something like kim which is very one-sided um it is more replayable because there are two sides in this piece if anything i don't like about the song it's that it is um at times kind of knowingly theatrical in a way that's a little bit distracting and not visceral. I think there's a point towards the end of the song where Taylor Page starts just slamming her notes one at a time and it's very heavy and not in a way that anyone would ever speak. And it was at that moment where I'm like, this is definitely feeling like a theater piece. This feels like theater class. And it still does even after like five or six plays. Um, that's not something I particularly care for. Someone may love that. I'm not a big theater guy, but I do love that she's an actress. They brought in, she brought an actress in and her performance is fantastic. The flow is there and her raspy voice is perfect. It kind of feels like she's done like 20 takes, you know? <laughs> um, it's so good because it feels like th this is not the beginning of this argument. We're kind of dropped into it. And your voice is already shot from however long they've been speaking. I think that's terrific. And yeah, you can something like Kim, which, I mean, who cares about Kim in this song? Honestly, who gives a fuck? This is revenge porn, and, and Eminem might as well have thrown a fucking blow-up doll off a cliff for as much value as Kim brings to this song, which has always been my problem with it, is that it is so profoundly one-sided. It doesn't really give me a lot to dig into. There's no self-critique that I get out of that song, but there actually is a fairly large amount of self-critique in terms of not just Kendrick, but in terms of masculinity in general and how that presents itself in arguments. I'm not even talking about the, the little dick stuff, which is kind of obvious, but hey, for a rap album, that's kind of cutting edge, right? Just say you have a tiny dick. That's, uh, you know, outside little dicky, of course, which is not good company to be in. Um, with that being said, though, um, I, I kind of like the way it ties together. It goes off the rails in a really funny way. Um, just bringing up all the society's ills. It stops being about each other and starts being about these larger grievances, and then they just fuck. 
I, actually, that is pretty pretty normal for an argument if it goes. The right way. <laughs> um, but I don't know. You know what? I've heard a lot of people say they find this song triggering. My own wife, for one, um, she did not like. She liked the song, but I don't want to listen to it again because I felt really anxious listening to it in a bad way, and I don't want to do that. But it's great. But I don't really enjoy it. Um, I don't feel that way. I actually found it kind of funny at times uh, in a, in like just very sincere and true kind of way. But um, I, I, again, as far as the quote unquote big songs on this album, the, the ones that really stand out, I would say this is one of my least favorites, probably is my least favorite, but it is very effective and I enjoy it. But compared to some of the other songs we're going to talk about um, to me, it doesn't resonate as much, but I appreciate it. That's what I think about the song. Yeah, I think that you give it more credit than I would for being funny. I mean, I don't know how um, intended to be funny the part is where, I mean, the whole place where she starts mentioning, like, you know, R. Kelly and Harvey Weinstein and all that shit. Um, I think that was maybe unintentionally funny in terms of, like, that was the part that I thought was unnatural. I thought that you're right that they do keep a very good ebb and flow of having been in a lot of very, very ugly uh, domestic arguments. Um, of how those arguments tend to go, but in terms of like the speech patterns and stuff, but I thought that, that was like a bit of the hand and stood out, yeah, literary device in terms of like I thought that was his whole point about turning it, where it was like this is really what under this is what's underneath those arguments. It's like all of a sudden this becomes this hyper articulated art from like this visceral base level argument of fuck you, no fuck you, no fuck you to. <laughs> this is really what it's about and this is what's enabling this. And that's him building in the self critique. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was like, I felt like that was him. The song itself is a Kanye moment, another Kanye moment in terms of it's something like, um, if you think of crown maybe as something of like, uh, not funny version of, I love Kanye. That's more musical. This is never abandon your family where it's like narcissism, where it's like, you know, actual self critique as opposed to self pitying alcoholic narcissism with a second person yeah. in the room because never abandon your family is just him getting drunk and mourning the loss of his family and hearing his mother's voice in his background. Whereas this is like maybe the fight that would have led to that, but there are no other voices yeah. on that side. That other voice is in his head. So that's where I get that comparison on there. Um, but yeah, I felt like that. Um, again, it's just, it's much, this is something that's more interesting for me to talk about than it is to uh, listen to, ultimately. And I think that it's the moment, it feels like it was important for Kendrick to do this, but I don't know if it needs to, Beyond for the sheer shock value of it, I don't know if it needs to go nearly six minutes, except for that's part, again, part of the shock value that he's able to take it on that long. And those argue and arguments go on well, well longer than that. But it, having it go that long gives uh, an accurate feel for the listener of an argument dragging on like that. You wouldn't get that out of a two minute interlude. And it feels more to me like an interlude than a song, in spite of the fact that it's done in rhyming, which, is, again, is a very impressive aspect of the performance. It's done in rap meter. That's mm -hmm. super. It's not just like, you know, the fucking uh, camera on I'm a chicken head skit on Purple Haze where that's just people yelling at each other without it. It's not yeah. like that. It's actually it is informal structure or song, but I think that it reads to me like an interlude in terms of that. I'll skip it. Um, I don't have, I have a high opinion of it without enjoying it. 
Yeah, I, it's an original. <laughs> it's an original um, in a lot of ways. There's comparisons, but it does stand out. I think people listening to this 20 years from now uh, will go, oh, you know, because there's still what? Like, I don't think this is going to inspire. I could be wrong that there could be a ton of copycats after this, but I don't think so. It's just a what's really the, weird what, fucking song. What's Logic's copycat version of this on Bobby Tarantino 4 going to sound like? Oh my god, is he gonna try to bring his ex into it? <laughs> Who can relate, man? Who can relate? <laughs> well, women, no, well, am I right? Logic, what logic would also may or may not make as an auntie diaries. Ah, guy, you stole my fucking transition <laughs> joke. I was going to say, you know what song we really hope logic doesn't do a ripoff of? <laughs> and this is like the, the centerpiece song, I think. Or yeah. one two anyway. I mean this what was what did you guys? I'm going to defer to you guys here because I was pretty conflicted. I remember you was. Um, My I don't have any influence to misuse, so I, I can't. I will stop beating that joke to death. I think that's at least the second time I've used that. But I'm not. I will not call back to it again. Okay, so I was prepared to expect the worst because I was kind of looking at the Discord while y'all were doing your live reaction to this, but unfortunately, um, I I'm an old man now. I'm asleep. I wasn't up for the midnight drop of this. I was expecting the worst because all I heard was Kendrick did a song about a trans relative and he dead named somebody and he used a slur. And I was, and that's a very superficial way to view a song. And I think that's kind of how he was, he wanted, I think that was kind of the, the Trojan horse way, I guess, for him to want people to view it almost. Either that's how he was doing it or people are just really stupid. I don't know. I'm already tripping over myself about, how to talk about the song but i feel like that's a very surface level way to look at it but i also feel like as a cis person it's not my way to police how people uh, non-cis people take that i think for other cis people that's a very surface level way to repeat the song my point being is that when i was going into it i was expecting just something really clunky and for words that were going to stand out like sore thumbs but what i got was a very highly evolved in terms of writing version of a lot of the creative writing sort of stuff he was doing on section 80 with a lot of levels of emotional maturity reflective of the best moments elsewhere on the record of the stuff, the level of emotional maturity and reflectiveness he was using on United in grief. And to a lesser extent on worldwide steppers, he was using to explore a topic that you could tell was, very difficult for him to relate to his audience, but a very important for him to relate to his audience. And I think personally it was very important that he be the one to do that. But then it comes very, very condescending. We were talking about this in the discord that, you know, LGBTQ people should be grateful for a cis artist to do anything for them. Yeah. So there's a level of straight saviorism there, I suppose, like the equivalent of white saviorism. But, I can't argue, like, I don't think it's important that an artist with his stat, with his clout level make this song. As pandering as that sounds. And I think that he did it well. Like, I guess what I kind of thought of was, and I, I almost think we talked about this on the movie episode, I don't, or at some point, we talked about this, that um the fucking movie uh, Philadelphia, I guess, is, like, super corny, but it was also really important that it got made. And I'm not saying this is equivalent to that, because I think this is actually not nearly as corny in terms of how it approaches an issue like an issue that might be hard for people to accept in some like you know air quotes um 
but it was important for them to make that movie for a certain audience to accept that you know the gays aren't it's not you know aids is not what you were taught it was and it's not and gay people aren't so bad type thing i think for a wrap up for a pro trans song to be made by someone's favorite rapper might make them not bigoted or at least that's the fucking intention there mm-hmm. again that comes across like a pandering statement but i think and it's hard to you say that and then it's like well macklemore made a song about gay people and it's corny as fuck this i don't think sounds corny as fuck but is it my place to say that i think purely dissecting it on a literary level i think that the biggest problem with it is that sometimes his writing's not clear in terms of pronouns but i think on a literary level you can excuse that again on a literary level uh, that kendrick as the narrator is talking about his own confusion but from mm-hmm. a cis perspective i'm not going to be triggered by that it's not mm-hmm. for my to say that other people can't be right so you understand what we we're saying about how we're going to be clumsy as fuck talking about this right yeah I don't think you said anything that's going to get you canceled, so good job. You succeeded. You made it. Well, now, the joke that I was going to that I said I had one good joke that wasn't going to get me in trouble, that was a surefire joke, was that this album reminded me a lot, I said earlier, of, you know, other people, like, other rappers and stuff, and I was thinking about how unfortunate it would be if other rappers who are known for their, you know, creative writing exercises tried to take this on. We were already talking about Logic, and one rapper who... Kendrick gets compared to who's done a lot of creative record, rec, yeah, writing exercises in their day is Nas. And we all know about Nas' Whoa. experience with Scarlet, right? And his gender real punchline. Oh, <laughs> so the only thing that would be more unfortunate than maybe Absol getting to be on N95 or something, or Absol doing this song, by the way, because <laughs> would maybe if Nas put on his Scarlet persona to try arrive that, try and do this. Yeah, it, I I kind of got the vibe of some some Nas on there, but it wasn't overwhelming. But I think I was so kind of shocked with the ending of it on my first listen that it wasn't really a it wasn't really a reputable first listen on my part. I, I wasn't really doing my due diligence into what he actually was trying to say. So I think that, like you, Patrick, my kind of a opinion of it once i removed myself from the context of oh my god he said this this and this it improved a little bit i still think ending the song like that is pretty wild it's like an it's an equivalency that i don't know if it, if that's the the right message but yeah, one, I once once again I'm, I'm not one to police that i'll, I'll wait my i have an opinion i'll wait my turn yeah. Well, no, go ahead, Trap, because I really don't have anything groundbreaking to say about the song. It's almost naughty enough that I can't really speak about. Like, I think it's well-written, well-wrapped. I actually have, you know, an empathy for, for Kendrick listening to it more times, and I've listened to it about three or four times since since the first listen. Um, what I will I, say is that um, I still hear that word a lot casually at my job, by the way, so... I feel like the message in that song that he's trying to get across is admirable. But one thing that did come up in the discord conversation about this a few days ago is that if there is a village, I think there could be a legitimate fear. If he plays this live, that could be, you know, 
that it could be a clause. Like people could be like saying it back live, not getting the message at all. That would be completely missing the point, especially given the very last last line of the song. Yeah. Like telling you don't do that. But I kind of feel like it also doesn't seem like something you play live, but who knows? I mean, I did think somebody else would say like, it'd be awesome if he had a, uh, you know, trans right song that he played live. That was like a hot song, but that seems like that could be a big issue. Um, yeah, the last line I thought, again, it's another thing. The more I think about it, it's so much more complicated in terms of like, and I can't wait to hear what Trav has to say about it. Or maybe, maybe I can wait. But um, I thought originally that that was for the, for the message of tolerance there. I thought that was a good way to get that across. It's like, how would you feel? It's like a kind of putting you in there, like putting you in another party's shoes the intended audience is putting in another party's shoes sort of thing. But yeah, then you think about it as an equivalency. It's like, is it the same? But then it's like, should I be the one saying this? Absolutely not. Like I'm speaking for two parties here. I have no right to fucking speak for. So I, again, I have to divorce myself as a literary device for what he's trying to do. I thought it was a very clever way. And also I think this is an album that's severely hurting for jokes and purely on a setup and punchline level. He spent an entire song setting up one joke. And that's effective. But then you have to unpack the context of that joke and stuff. And that's that's a whole other fucking issue. But mm-hmm. I did think that, that actually was a strong line to end the song on purely on a writing level. Now, Trav, you've been sitting on a bunch there. So. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably in my top five on the album. And that actually means a lot because I, I think I would, I would say I love about half these songs, like about nine of them, I think are awesome. Um, and this is among that group. Um, I will say, first of all, I'm going to go back a little bit. One of the things I love about this song is the narrative progression of it, which is the whole point, right? That's why the song exists to show that people can change, right? Um, the difficulty, of course, is getting your hands dirty in the process of expressing ignorance. So at what point do you step back from that and you understand that you are going to alienate some of your audience? That is really the struggle of the song. Kendrick knows not to say that word, right? He does. Now he knows that. That is the difficulty. And that is what he took a risk on. So ultimately, like anyone who's like, oh, no, uh, Kendrick's a turf or something uh, because he said this is, uh, in my opinion, terribly missing the point. Anyone can feel any way they want to about this song, and that is valid. I'm talking in terms of reading comprehension, in terms of listening to what he's trying to say, in terms of the overall message of the song. It is about growth. It is about change. It is about transforming yourself and accepting other people doing the same. And knowing that, kind of going back a little bit, I think that takes place on this album as a whole. The Kendrick on N95 is not the Kendrick on Mother I'm Sober. He changed a lot on this album. And this song does that in miniature, I think, in a very effective way in terms of the way he structures this song and the pronouns he chooses to use, which are spotty. And I think he does that on purpose because it is very difficult. I can say this as a teacher. I have a trans student. I have several non-binary students and I fuck up the pronouns all the time. I do my absolute best and I still make mistakes. Um, and in terms of this song, 
I, I feel empathy for that. Although I have absolutely, I've never had any issues with, with trans rights or trans experience, even though I was raised in a very homophobic household. For whatever reason, like I didn't have that, that block. By the time I understood that there were trans people in the world who deserve to be loved and have the same rights as everybody else, I was like in fucking college. I was so like shielded. I had no idea. So to me, like I didn't have the experience Kedrick did. With that being said, I did come from an environment full of, you know, homophobia. And so that word does strike a chord with me. It's something I would never say. It's not something I'm going to repeat in this podcast, but it is, I have had that experience where I've had friends who did say that comedically and they, they too have grown. And I, I love that that is spotlighted in the song. The, the trans rights aspect of this and the fact that one of the biggest superstars in the world, unbidden, just chose to write this song is remarkable. Um, and that is something to be celebrated, even though, like, yeah, of course, you, you should feel this way. But it is great that he said that. But also, in a broader sense, and something that we can all relate to about this song, it is about doing clumsy things and making mistakes and understanding that we're products of our environment. And so uh, as far as like how I view this song, I, I, I cannot view this song in any way as transphobic because of the word. I, I can't. Um, and I've seen that used several times uh, by people in comment boxes and Twitter. And I just find that offensive because that is absolutely not the purpose of the song at all. And I'm not even trying to give Kendrick too much credit because he himself wouldn't give himself too much credit. He knows that he fucked up a lot on his way to reaching the point he is now where he's like, okay, this is fine. And okay, you should have felt that way before, but you know, great. I'm glad you're here now. And I'm sure he wouldn't be patting himself on the back too hard. I'm just finding the song very effective because of what it says about that experience and how it illustrates it further. I will say that the uh, instrumental of this track and the way it builds is incredibly effective. I think this is easily one of the best sonic moments of this album and the way it builds and blossoms as these conversations take place at the end of the song, which by the way, is just an incredible piece of dynamics, how it builds up to that last line. Um, and just like, it's grabbing you by the throat. And then it ends on a joke um, of sorts. <laughs> which I guess I have sorts. I, it is a joke, but it's let's I'll be clear in terms of interpreting this line. It's a conversation. So I've seen people discuss this song and they're like, OK, so Kendrick grew. Now he's using the term F bomb instead. Right. So he's using a euphemism. He understands that. So why did he say the words again? Right. But of course, those words are coming from Marianne, not himself so all right is he being irresponsible by indulging in that instead of mary ann saying these things well that is of course up to a person in their position um and similarly i see that last line as being some shit you'd say in a conversation i don't think kendrick is trying to draw a, a very formal equivalency i think that's just some shit that you and your cousin are spitting back and forth and then uh, she throws that at you and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and so I didn't take that line overly seriously, but I do understand where it could be problematic in terms of drawing an equivalency because I don't think there is one. 
but I also don't think that's the presentation of it. Um, and I'm going to stop talking before I say something stupid because I think that summed up my feelings pretty well. Um, but yeah, I love the love of love, love this song. I think this is one of the, uh, the moments of the album that people will really remember. Yeah. I think that it's probably the best, uh, point where the, uh, the strongest point on the album where the themes, uh, big theme coalesces. I think the theme of the album ultimately is forgiveness and like I think this album this song particularly is about like Kendrick seeking his aunt's forgiveness seeking to forgive his past self for saying those words asking his trans fans forgiveness as like asking them to forgive him for what he might have mm -hmm. said you as the audience to forgive him for having said it having that in the song use the word to prove his point like it's a forgiveness, just like you know we cry together is about forgiving your partner united grief is about like you know for learning to forgive yourself through therapy, or at least introducing that concept going to be explored throughout the album. And so he's he's just kind of tying it all together in this greater statement. And the fact that he chose this particular issue to make like the big conversation about the big theme of his album is admirable. And I think that, yeah, like forgiveness again goes into, I think we all said our piece on it. Let's stop while we're quit while we're ahead behind whatever. You thing. used the wrong pronoun a minute ago, but I, I forgive you, Pat. Not that it's my place to forgive you. It's for the truth. That's very Christian of you, Trav. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, for, I appreciate you noticing. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> I think personal redemption just being the biggest takeaway that I got from, from the album and on, on a song like this is definitely a. Uh, shines through so yeah i agree with both of you guys i thought i thought trav that was very well put so i i don't have anything uh constructive to add rather so we can go to the other big what's you know. what's that line um i hope you find the god in me that's a that's a big mm. theme on this album um yeah. there was a really good comment in the comment box there's one there's just one there's no just other there's a, one. Single, a single a single one that i saw that was about someone who is going through therapy and they thought this album was very moving because the concept of finding the god in someone is really looking for anything of worth and you're trying to working through this experience to find that and you hope that people can see that in you despite fuck-ups that you have like the ones he highlights in the song but anyway well, yeah, and I feel like it's definitely the most therapeutic, like overall reflective therapeutic track, or like the bookends, because I kind of feel like the I feel like Mirror is more of an epilogue track. I feel like, like sonically, and like you get like a short verse on it, but the album I feel is really bookended by two very, very long. Like, I mean, like you could argue that United in Grief has like a hook to it. I grieve different, but that's more like punctuation on one very, very. Mm -hmm. It's a mantra, really. Yeah, yeah. It, like, he's just like I agree. Like it's kind of like a breathing point stop in the middle of a long monologue. Like not even like verses. They're like monologues, essentially, like thera like therapeutic monologues. Like you would say to a therapist. And so I feel like that's what you get. It's like bookended between United and Grief and Mama I'm Sober. And Mama I'm Sober. I think that uh, Diction put this very well. Just like today in the Discord, it's like a highlight of the album. The biggest problem is like you. Ha it's uh, you have to be in the mood for it highlight more than anything. Mm -hmm. This is like one of his absolute heaviest, heaviest songs. Like this makes like the last three tracks on D on um damn look comparatively light lifting almost. Just the level of detail he goes into about personal issues, the intensity with which he raps about it, everything. And sonically, it's I think sonically it's head and shoulders above pretty much everything else on the album except for 
uh, United and Grief and Worldwide Steppers are like probably the only two instrumentals I think are even close to it. If you look at the instrumental credits, there's a lot more and personnel involved on this than a lot of the other. I mean, like a lot of the tracks have tons of people involved. Uh, Soundwave, I showed. <coughs> excuse me more than i thought this is the one with thundercat on it um not that it has really showy bass lines but i did think it has like kind of like a w or low end than some stuff and obviously a big part of it is uh beth gibbons on the hook which is just remarkable out of out of nowhere yeah. out of left field and she sounds incredible yep i believe only her second hip-hop uh second um hip-hop album ever after uh also out of nowhere, she showed up to do some, a lot less than she did on this. It still sounded good, but she didn't do very much uh, on, um, I think it was GMO on the uh, J.J. Doom album. Hmm. The, there's a there's a callback. I don't even remember that song, to be honest with you. It's it's, it's not aged super well. <laughs> um, uh, it actually has... It's uh, Doom is rapping about uh, GMOs, and he... Um, Let's say he cover there. He has one or two jokes that cover the same ground as in Aussie Diaries, but not in the same way. Comparing them to GMO, it doesn't age very well. I mean, not not Doom's proudest moment on that song, but uh, yeah, Beth does the hook on that. It's very uh, understated. It's it's actually, yeah. No, we don't go into GMO much. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful. Hook, I, I thought she, yeah. she sounds so good over hip hop. Remember the Portishead self titled had a lot of beats. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a space I think she's very comfortable in. For sure. Um, and, but yeah, like in terms of just like lyrical content, I can't remember, like he's always had like autobiographical details, but this is probably like, I mean, the way Dan was structured was obviously, I won't want to say like a puzzle, but like obviously you should figure out his backwards and it's telling the story. Uh, you know, Good Kid, Mad City was like a, fictionalized version of his childhood section 80 was very much like and felt more like inspired by his life than anything else like and obviously overtly fictionalized in spots um but probably more raw like just like most fictionalized i would say i feel like this is probably the most pulled from like directly documentary his writing has ever been what would you guys say I think it's it's up there. I think it's this album's fear, except more. <laughs> yeah, um, this, this is a harrowing song. Um, I, it's just some of the some of the craziest like rapping without actually being like you can kind of just sink into the story. People for for years and rightfully so have compared Kendrick to Andre and, and Outkast in general. You know, songs like Don't Kill My Vibe, um, songs off The Pimp Butterfly, um, even some songs off Damn, like uh, Feel or Yah, I mean, you know, uh, understood, you can you can hear it. This song is the and not the first time, but a definite time where I was like, damn, this is like some, it's kind of like a hybrid of like the art of storytelling with a hy hybrid with like some 13th floor stuff. That's kind of what I, what I heard if I had to closely approximate it, but so deeply personal and, and really affecting. Like it kind of shook me up the first time I listened to it. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This is the most raw thing I think he's put. I mean, yeah, fear, but this is probably the most emotionally raw and kind of startling thing he's put out since you. Hmm. Um, although you, while incredibly startling, also has a certain theatricality about it that's almost distancing. 
um, in a way that this song is not. Um, it is almost shocking how austere and flat a lot of this song is. Um, there's not a great deal of catharsis, is there? Like, it just kind of, until the end. And then the ending is very, very, very heavy um, in terms of, hey, we're, you know, <laughs> we're working through generational curses. Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're trying to save this family by finally talking about our problems in a way that we hadn't for generations. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you work through in therapy for a very, very long time. Um, there's some stuff in this song that I don't want to talk about because particularly pertaining to black trauma that I have no, um, context for at all. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that, but one section that I thought was incredibly moving and is something that I've personally dealt with a lot was pretty much that whole section at the end or near the end about, you know, struggling with, with lust. And, um, basically, you know, he pretty much admits to cheating on, on Whitney, like, countless times on this album and so this is a whole verse that's just dedicated to that struggle but not only how like it served as a vice but how uh women gave him superpowers how he felt that all of this insecurity all the things he hated about himself were temporarily resolved by having affairs and that is an incredibly meaningful thing to say on a rap album you know it, in a lot of sense we hear rap albums and those affairs you know sleeping around is praised it's considered very masculine it's something you do when you're a rapper and i gotta say this song um he feels disgusting he feels disgusting about it he he is very shamed by those things and probably that's something that he worked through a lot in therapy um that that gap between guilt and shame is very significant um and i'm sure that's something that he's thought about a lot where he no longer hates himself. And that's the kind of generational curse that you want to erase where it's no longer about like, Oh, you know, I'm part of this, but I'm, I'm me myself. I'm a decent person despite what I've done and you can be too. And so that's just like one of several, cause there's a few different things that pop in the song, a few different traumatizing things and um, you know, horrible uh, things that take place to people um that he tries to exercise here and that's really the only one that he can control because that's something that he had an active part in is you know cheating on on his fiance um which he mentions in worldwide steppers in a number of different places um but that's the kind of thing that separates this song from i think other kendrick songs is that um Boy, he really feels like fucking shit about this. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I caught a body when I was 16. But this is really harsh for him because he loves Whitney very much. And this part of his life, I mean, has become his life, his family. We talk about comparing this to the big day. But let's say that you do something to destroy that. It's that that was what separates, you know, Kendrick from the big day. Because there's no fucking controversy on that album. That album's trash. Kendrick is speaking from a very real place where he fucks something up and it's not just like, Oh, this is, this is wrong, but boy, he really feels it. And so I've never really heard anything too much like this. I mean, I know there's song, like song cry and stuff like that is about cheating, but <laughs> I think the way that it's framed on this song where it's not only him, but it's the whole fucking black race. And it's a lot, man. It's heavy. It's his whole family and how it's tied in with th about rape 
which is a whole different issue I don't want to get into um, of the historical context. That's way too much for you unpacking this. But um, I thought that that was all incredibly daring. Um, and it does whether or not it lands is up to you. Um, I'm blown away by this song. But again, it's not something I often go out of my way to listen to on its own. It's really more of a climax for this progression over the course of the album. And I, I don't really have much to say about the music because I think that was covered fairly well. Um, it is unobtrusive and it focuses on, on on the lyrics. And, you know, there's a number of songs like that. But this one, I think, is very spare and beautiful. Love the hook. Um, but I, I just am incredibly moved by that last verse in particular. I think that's really all I got to say on this one. It's it's a masterpiece. It's a brilliant song. Yeah, I think you. I like you brought up the whole historical context. He brings up again. I'm not going. I've already spent enough time in this episode speaking on things that I have no right to speak on. I'm not going to try and further that by speaking on like, you know, all the historical black trauma stuff, the things that he touches on themes, but he does an excellent job tying up much greater themes that kind of give weight and gravity to the stuff he's alluding to through, uh, throughout the album that might have previously just seemed like they were just speaking about his family. Uh, obviously, familial issues are another big underpinning aside from forgiveness, like a main theme of the album. And yeah, talking about the big day, I feel like, you know, I made that joke review and like you mentioned it quite a lot in there. And it's like, I feel like there are polls. You have like the big day on one end and you have Don on the other talking about marriages. And like the big day is like this Ned Flanders ass fucking like, you know, everything's great, you know, oakley dokely. I love my wife. Everything's great. Let's take a hot shower, you know, goofy ass bullshit. And then you have Donda where it's like, you know, your marriage is falling apart. Your family, you're losing your family. But there's like. A curious lack of self-reflection. And don't get me wrong, on a musical level, I find Donda way more interesting. I like more than this album, even though it's heavily flawed in its own way. Go listen to the Donda episode. But, um, but like, in terms of just purely, like, on a writing level, on, like, an emotional level, like, you know, Kanye lacks the capacity for self-reflection. He's an emotionally stunted man-child. There's a whole lot of, baby, I'm sorry, remember when things were great, you know, it'll be better now. Like, there's not, like, a... Kanye said the world is his therapist. Like, I don't think there's any therapist you could pay enough to deal with Kanye for more than one session anyway. But he's just not, like, going to go into the level of, like, self-reflection and self-analysis that Kendrick attempts on this album to try and, like, go into what has fractured his family and how he can repair it and, like, the experiences that got him to where he is. And, like, so for all of the problems I have with this album, it's a remarkable achievement in terms of just like bringing the experience of therapy and healing and all of these themes in a musical way to its audience. And it's certainly not always fun, but I feel like I appreciate it more with each listen. And I feel like that's going to be its enduring legacy. And, but I feel like, I mean, just by the nature of the project, it's going to be one of his less enjoyable albums. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm kind of transitioning into wrapping up unless, I mean, again, we could have Mirror, it closes with Mirror, which is just kind of feels like closing credits music to me. I Maybe on more listens, the last verse will kind of hit for me more, but I really haven't had much of an impression of it yet. I guess there was a viscerally negative reaction to it in the Discord. Uh, it's the singiest thing on here. I feel like it's more of a sustained vibe than a song, but it really didn't offend me one way or another. Um it didn't really move the needle for me one way or another. I think it's pleasant. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like the album really ends when it does. And this is just kind of playing it out. So if anybody has anything else to say about it, we can say that cover that briefly. Otherwise it's going to kind of wrap up. 
Yeah, I'll just mention the hook. I mean, the hook is very on the nose. I mentioned earlier in the album, I can't remember what song, uh, fairly <laughs> early on, but the I Chose Me, I'm, I'm Sorry hook is very crucial, you know, um, in terms like, okay, Kendrick is now taking down the savior mantle. Fuck this. <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. I am going to therapy. I am healing myself because I can't heal the culture. I can't even fucking heal my family. So I'm not even going to fucking try. I'm going to work on myself and all that entails. Um, therapy is a very selfish thing. Um, and I, I mean that in a sense of like you are focusing on yourself, solipsistic. There's no therapist who'll tell you, oh, no, go, uh, go, just please this person. No, like you are working on yourself. And sometimes you do selfish things in order to better yourself in the moment. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And with this album, Kendrick is choosing to do that. And I got to say, um, when, you're, when you're talking about someone who is a very powerful voice in an oppressed minority, it is rather gutsy to say, I choose myself. It's already in my own family. It's fairly controversial to go to therapy. It always was like there that you just, it's kind of selfish. And for him, it is very selfish in a way. And he accepts that. And that's why he says, I'm sorry, because there's an element of this, like, oh, I'm just going to be me now. I can't save you. I can't save my fucking race. And so it's a lot. Um, and it's kind of a heavy hook to put in a song that is mm, just kind of a vibe. I think it's groovy as fuck. I enjoy listening to it. But um, really, it, the hook is what hangs in my mind because it is the theme of the album. And he chooses himself. Ultimately, he has to heal and fuck everybody else except for his family, really. Um, and that's just where we're at. But it wasn't overnight. It took time, and that's what the heart part five was for. I mean, this was all foregrounded. And so I think it's an effective closer. Um, and it, I, I never would have wanted Mother I'm Sober to be the, the closer of this album. Um, I think they did the right thing. It kind of has a Compton kind of effect where it, it, it's more thematically relevant than Compton is. Compton is really more evocative of the space of Good Kid, Mad City, not necessarily all the themes. But um, it is that kind of closer, if you want to call it credits music. But I think it's very good credits music. I don't know. Uh, that's pretty much all I got to say on it. I, I agree. I, I think Trap put that very very well. Also, Patrick, I liked your point about how they're gonna, it's going to be a, an enduring album, maybe more than we initially thought, but that it also, just from a pure listening perspective, at least in, in my opinion as well, is just going to be one of his like lesser albums. But when you're holding... Kendrick Lamar album against other Kendrick Lamar albums from earlier in his career, it's always going to be, you know, there, there's nothing bad about being like, oh, this is one of the lesser ones when it's still definitely a you know, a, a good record and in, in my view and, and one that is worth all of the, you know, um, you know, discussion and writing about it. And it's nice because we don't get a lot of that anymore in, in, in the age of, you know, things coming and going and within a few weeks time. So, uh, I appreciate the fact that I, I can see a lot of discussion from, you know, whether it's a deep, you know, very deep rooted rap fan or just like, you know, an average person who's just, you know, listening to big albums as they come out. I like the fact that a record like this can inspire so much, even if some of the takes are not worth talking about. 
Yeah, I just hope a lot more of the discussions about like the writing and like the quality of the writing and not just like surface level discussions again, kind of like when we were talking about Ani Diaries and like like the surface level readings of it versus actually textually reading it and like traps a basic reading comprehension as opposed to just like hot take economy being like, you know, I don't want to say tri- like trigger is not the right word there because triggering is genuine, but like having a hair trigger reactionary sort of take on something. But I guess, yeah, to wrap up, I was going to just usual where you would rank it. Although I think we've kind of all tipped our hands that, I mean, I, well, I'm more interested in Trav's answer because he seems to have had like the most positive reaction, but where you would rank it in his discography. And yeah, I guess what you think the legacy of the album is going to be like, aside from just where it ranks and his per like his canon, like I said, like I said, I think it's low prop. It's hard for me because the thing about section 80 is that it is really peaks and valleys and with all like i said with all kendrick stuff i as i said earlier in the episode i don't spin anything super often to begin with and in section 80 it's like there's certain stuff on there i'd never want to hear again and there's other stuff on there that i think like still holds up but it's so of its time and i think that's I honestly would maybe given this, this discussion really made me hold this album, like respected a lot more, like certain, like purple hearts. Like I never made that connection about purple hearts before. Just talking about the themes of it made me respect it even more and want to listen to certain parts of it. But the big problem with it is, well, the big problem when it came out was it came out around so much stuff. I wanted to listen to more like that, like just in terms of rappers that I enjoyed listening to more than Kendrick. Now the Billy Woods album, the killer priest album that, you know, that I don't think are going to have like the overall impact that this album is going to have. And I don't know if that should affect like, that's the thing about the legacy though, is like Kendrick is for a much more important artist. Him doing this is going to get a lot more ears than those albums. Which is what Denzel, my, Denzel Curry talked about that on Twitter. Yeah. Regardless of my, yeah, regardless of my opinion of a uh, Denzel Curry also had some whack ass opinions about other people's albums yeah. too. He should probably, better album before he goes around criticizing other people's albums but uh i'm really like building up how much i'm going to shit on the denzel album in the mid-year i did not get it like that but it's just like i saw some parallels and i think he has i don't know a very high opinion i'm getting i'm getting sidetracked i'm getting sidetracked about this denzel album that i didn't even care about that much when it came out yeah i I, i'm with you pat i I hear you anyway so the whole about it is that this was kind of hurt for me by coming around other stuff I wanted to listen to more and it's also hurt for me being a Kendrick Lamar album being held up to the high standard of other Kendrick Lamar albums and ultimately on a listening level it's hurt by the fact that there's just front to back it's so long and there's stuff on it that I don't want to listen to that said I think that some of his strongest stuff on here there are songs I'm going to be coming back to over time and I feel like it's an important album that is neither it's neither as good as I think some people just wanted it to be after a five year wait, nor nearly as bad as some people want. Like we're just going to immediately react to it because of how intentionally polarizing it is. So I put it at probably equal to, or slightly better than section 80 at the bottom of its discography. But I think it's going to be way more enduring than section 80, which I don't think is really, in terms of like overall impact, aside from maybe high power left like enduring classics in Kendrick's catalog and some like real like embarrassing marks. I think it's like a much bigger testament to like obviously he's so much more like 
he's evolved so much more as an artist and in stature that how could it not be a greater test a testament to how much he's improved as an artist and i think that it just beyond the artistic level some of the stuff he's doing on this in terms of opening up the conversation about mental illness and platforming trans tolerance is going to have an impact outside of music and i think that there's something very laudatory to be said about that yeah no i I, w- I would definitely agree with, you know, with that last part. I'd probably put it around. I mean, I did mention this. I'd probably put it at either right around Section 80. I think, you know, Section 80 has songs that, you know, when I was in, you know, high school, I listened to a lot. And so I have some personal attachment to that, although still not as much as later Kendrick. Kendrick is an artist for me where in high school, you know, was easily one of my favorite artists ever. And I think since then has kind of receded a little bit, not because of the quality of music has changed, just because, you know, my listening is has changed and you know over the course of the last you know three four years but i would say that this album in the probably ranks alongside section 80 i think the lows are about even maybe section 80 has some lower ones but i don't think it has quite the the consistency um that that album does but overall it's kendrick and there are some incredible songs on here i mean you know we, we just talked about a few of them toward the end of this episode, so I won't belabor that point any longer. I think it's going to last. I think Patrick made a great point about the five-year wait hampering expectations one way or the other. Um, I'm glad that Kendrick took a long time to to drop this because it seems like he was in a kind of an in-between and, and tough place. So um, hopefully he's been able to work through that with himself and, and with his family. And you know, I, I hope he, he has a great time. And I, I hope I imagine it's going to be a great tour and video cycle and all that so yeah i mean just it's cool that we have a another kendrick album out in the world and that it inspires a lot of discussion yeah we're we're entering we're not entering we've been in an era of you know accepting vulnerability and you know mental illness not being taboo in hip-hop um certainly we have a lot of um underground artists and some that are that are rising a bit um to speak on this a lot um and so we have a kendrick album (laughs) about a lot of these issues and it's wonderful that he made this album um and so that these can be spotlit for us i think this is awesome um as an album uh it's a little spottier than i'd like it's a little longer than i'd like um it has some sequencing issues that kind of weigh it down a little bit um i have it at like a four or four out of five on on regular music and i think it's about right i think it's an eight it's a great album um it's not i don't want to like belabor that oh it's a capital i important album i mean it didn't have to be um, but I, I think Kendrick kind of naturally does that. I think he cares about what's going on around him, but in this case, he kind of says more by just dealing with himself and in doing so, just being really empathetic. Um, he's grown a lot as a person. I think that's kind of what separates this from section 80 for me is there's some moments on section 80, uh, including some fairly homophobic moments, by the way, um, that I think he's grown from, and I think it's going to help this album age a lot better. Um, with that being said, I, I mean, I, I actually, I think I'm a little bit more positive about section 80 than both of you, but there are tracks I don't want to hear anymore. And, uh, for me, it's kind of up and down. There are patches. I don't really care for It's kind of similar, actually, the, between the two, I would say they're both a little bit spotty. Um, but I think the overall slope of this album and the way that it's structured, thematically i think is a lot more effective and it'll cause me to come back to it more often because i think the character journey of this album is super interesting 
Um, it was really well put together. That first listen, I didn't really notice it too much. Um, it felt rather haphazard, especially the first disc. And then by the end, I started to sort of feel it. And then on future listens, those threads became a lot more apparent. And I've listened to Section 80 more times than I can count. And while the interludes bring some themes together that are rather heavy, um, as a narrative, I don't think it's nearly as satisfying. So I think that's why I would put um, Mr. Morale ahead of it. Um, yeah, it's got a long way to climb, though. I, I, you know, it, it is in the midst of an amazing discography. Um, and yeah, it has its flaws. I mean, I, I, I hope that in this discussion, some of the points I raised might help people see things differently. Um, I'm writing my own review for this and working some stuff out. I think it's a fascinating album. It's very compelling. Um, it is not my favorite rap album of this year. I, too, prefer um, Ethiopes. And actually, the Cities of Eve album, I love Man Plays the Horn. I think that's an incredible album. Um, but this is third, I would say, um, and, it, and a, a fantastic year for hip-hop. I think this is easily one of my favorite years for hip-hop since, like, 2017, maybe. Um, it's incredible. So this is another highlight and a fantastic year. Um, and but I've been listening to it obsessively, and I think that's great that's a great sign i think it'll age really well maybe not instrumentally but thematically again don't want to highlight oh it's so important because it's it's not just important it is super enjoyable for me as well but it gives it a little bit more depth um great album i'm glad that we could talk about it and i think it says a lot that we were able to talk about this for nearly two and a half hours and it didn't belabor itself too much oh i could have talked about it for an hour more honestly like there's a lot more down but I mean, we should quit before we get so because you know, the longer we talk, the more we put ourselves in peril. But yeah, Trav, great to have you on as always. And as you, you said, there's been you know a lot to talk about this year in hip hop. So many great albums. And next, we will talk about that next time on our traditional mid year wrap up sometime in June. Hopefully, if we can keep ourselves on some kind of schedule. So until then, we are living off borrowed time. Our intro music is, as always, uh, the borrowed time instrumental by Ewan Classic. And our outro music is, as always, stagnated pace by Can Kick. See you next time. Time will dawn upon us.